the football pod on OTB Sports. Have you ever seen a team like Limerick that are so physically dominant? They're yeah, absolutely oh. financially <laughs> dominant. <laughs> the football pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, half past seven, Tuesday morning. You're very welcome along to OTBAM. We're here with you until 10 o'clock. It's the day of the first Champions League semi-finals, Real Madrid against Manchester City. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. If you've got thoughts on that or indeed anything else that you want to get off your chest, you can use the hashtag OTBAM. You can leave a comment on our YouTube stream. You can text us on 0879-180-180 or however it is that you want to get in touch with us this morning. We're going to start, though, with uh, an exclusive on the front of the Telegraph. Major shock as Mickelson joins Rebels. This is Phil Mickelson, the golfer. You might remember him from uh, such off-the-record Maria chats with Alan Shipnuck about those scary mother effers, uh, the Saudi Arabians. You know that, that uh, he, he revealed himself to be fully aware of the human rights issues that were going on and the murder of the Saudi journalist. And um, he was like, yeah, I was just using this as leverage with the PGA Tour to get more money because, like, uh, you know, we don't have enough money, the golfers. They don't. They don't get enough um, and now he's decided he's actually going to go and play on that Saudi tour anyway. The first event is in England um, and PGA tour members had until midnight last night to ask for a dispensation to play in the event. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to show up. I'm a man of my word. I stick to my what was his word again? I can't remember. What, what was his word? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't be shocked, but I am shocked in that. Phil revealed who he was and then he followed through on it. Which doesn't happen anymore in, in the... Re- you, get, you get called out in something and you go, oh yeah, sorry about that. Sorry. Really sorry. I'm not going to do it. But then you actually do it. It's like, wow. The ball's on this guy. Mm. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, we, we shouldn't be surprised if people want to get more money to do less work, which is essentially what the LIV tour is. we, we got to give it its correct name rather than the, the Saudi tour. And he also obviously wants to play the PGA Championship, of which he is the defending champion. So Phil Mickelson wants it all. So he, yeah, sorry, that's the other thing. He's uh, coming out of his self-imposed suspension slash period of reflection. Uh, was he shadow banned? Was it the shadow committee who banned people on Twitter who shadow banned you? Was that what happened to him? I don't know. It's impossible to know what's going on in golf, but um, but this is like this is madness. And uh, they're also naming Sergio Garcia. Uh, Lee Westwood and Ian Poulter are going to play in the tournament in England so it's kind of weird right the the uh, members of the PGA Tour had until last night to ask members of the European Tour have another couple of weeks to ask because the tournament itself is on June I think and uh, you're like uh, okay um, Garcia, Westwood and Poulter were all thought to be shoe-ins for a Ryder Cup captaincy now it's like the European Tour gone, if you play in this tournament you can't be a Ryder Cup captain you can't play in the Ryder Cup so Garcia won't be available for the next tournament if he plays. That's the thought at the moment. And they're like, I mean, I love the Ryder Cup. It was very good and it was good for my brand, but the millions and millions and millions they're getting me is better for my bank account. There's also a chance that if they get shunned as Ryder Cup captain in the near future, there's no guarantee that golf won't do a U-turn over the next little while as well and be like, oh, okay, we forgive you if this Saudi Arabian backed... Uh, tour is just a complete disaster maybe they wouldn't get the captaincy for the next one but the one after that they'd be back in the fold right or the Saudi Arabian tour takes over the European tour well he, here's the thing the European tour is in a, in a very interesting place Like, what, what's the, the main reason uh, optics wise why the European tour will, will go against this 
like the real reason is obviously because their tour is screwed if anybody goes over to it and they were already in a very vulnerable position but they really can't be playing the moral trump card on any level here given who now owns them and to an even greater degree did the fact that the Saudi international Saudi invitational ran from 2019 to 2021 and the European tour were pretty happy for that to happen so they've lost one of the cards that the PGA tour can play I'm not saying the PGA tour have any right to play it but at least they can say we didn't go to Saudi because you're mostly based on uh, that side of the Atlantic and um, but the European Tour will uh, will have to deal with a fair degree of hypocrisy if they play the, the morality card. Suddenly the tournament is like vaguely interesting from a pure golf perspective. Louis Westhays and Sergio Garcia, Charles Schwartzel, Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood, Phil Mickelson. You're like, what's the difference between this and random AN other tour event? It doesn't have any of those young Americans who are good, right, at the moment. Doesn't have any Camerons. Uh, no. <laughs> no Camerons, no Jordans. Uh, no Jordan Camerons. Um, no. Uh, golf is screwed here it doesn't really know what to do and Phil Mickelson is the one who's bringing it down from inside he is the Trojan horse yeah and like sorry go ahead we were having this conversation a little bit earlier on where Will was saying um, about Greg Norman and whether or not he's going to play at the, the so the British Open uh, it's at St Andrews this year isn't it and it's like a big anniversary or something yeah, this is. Uh, if you want the chapter, years. if you want the chapter and verse in this, you can subscribe to Golf Weekly. That's what we've managed to corral them over there, so that none of the rest of us have to. Uh, uh, Patreon.com forward slash Golf Weekly, great value. Right. Uh, Will was making the point they don't really want Greg Norman showing up and talking about the. Uh, so he he'll have to qualify as as a former champion. You get a dispensation for a certain number of of tournaments up until the age of sixty, and after that, you got to qualify. And so he says he's going to try and qualify and he thinks he can do it. And maybe he can. But I, I, I do wonder if actually the right thing is to let him, invite him, bring him over and then have everybody in the room go, you know Jamal Khashoggi was murdered by Saudi authorities. You know that. And you're willing to work for that government as they sports wash. What do you say to that, Craig? And just to have the press conference and broadcast it live. And, and so because the cat is out of the bag with Phil Mickelson, keep asking them. You're, you're working for this regime. Those scary mother effers, as Phil Mickelson said, why do you find them not scary? How much money did it take for you, Greg Norman, to decide that you didn't care about that, that you don't care about the murder of somebody doing their job? What, like, so you can say it's, it's distant from you, but it's not distant from you. The very reason that sports washing exists is to allow countries to get away with this. You, Greg Norman, are at the forefront of this. Why are you allowing your name to be associated with this regime and their acts? Why are you endorsing this regime? How much money did it take for you to endorse it? That's I'm, not, I'm not a politician, is what he would say. Yeah, but, but you, but you know a, what happens. You're a golfer. I'm a, I'm a mere uh, businessman in the, the golfing world. The golfers but are now shills for the regime. The There's no way of avoiding that. The golfers are shills for this regime. And so they're choosing that. And everybody who goes now to Saudi Arabia in the future... Phil Mickelson told everybody that you know what's going on. You, you, your excuse about just being a golfer no longer washes. The world has changed. Yeah. The world is at war. M- Mickelson has, has definitely screwed this whole thing up to a degree. Certainly that, that sort of... And now he's taking start. the money still. The uh, idea that this is kind of like an outsider tour as well probably helps them in some regard where they're like, you know what, we're, we're being uh, held back by the powers that be in the DP World Tour and in the PGA Tour and we're going off to do our own thing because we're free spirits and, you know, uh, power to the golfers and money to the golfers, less work, more pay, all that sort of thing. Whereas if you invite them into the 
folds and they're available for as you say media reviews uh, interviews and and are, and are just part of the, the current setup I think that probably diminishes that argument as well like we're talking about the arguments that go for or against this like just looking back at what the European Tour did say earlier this week like the, the Keith Pelly plea isn't overly convincing like he, he's saying that conflicting events regardless of how attractive they might appear to you personally potentially compromise our efforts in these areas it could significantly hurt your tour in both the short and long term then he goes on to say please continue to bear this bigger picture in mind particularly considering some of these conflicting events in 22 are scheduled directly some of our most prestigious heritage events including the Horizon Irish Open the DS Automobiles Italian Open and the Acciona Open di Espana three national opens which combined have more than 300 years of history like are you reading that of your Maybe you stays in or Charles Schwartzel or any of the European Tour players and saying those heritage events is it's exactly why I play golf. So the the compelling reason to to keep you within the, the European Tour isn't overly compelling, but it should just be an, an enough of a reason to not go join the LIV Golf Invitational. And so very interesting yesterday, uh, Brian Kill's piece in I think it's the Irish Independent today was talking about the announcement that uh, three of the next five Irish Opens are going to be at the K Club and that. Uh, no announcement has been made yet about whether or not it's going to be co-sanctioned by the PGA Tour which of course then if the Irish Open was to go against one of these LIV things uh, that would if you played in the other one you wouldn't be able to uh, the PGA Tour will ratchet up the pressure because the first American event on the LIV Tour just uh, maybe we should have said that this isn't a Saudi Arabian Tour in Mm. Saudi Arabia this is a Saudi Arabian Tour in England and America that's what's going to happen here the events are going to be in England and America and uh, maybe in the long run the European Tour has six events that are co-sanctioned by the PGA Tour and the rest of it is a feeder tour for the PGA Tour and those six or eight events are around the uh, the British Open and uh, you know that's where this goes the proper global tour is a global tour and actually that's what probably where this needs to go anyway so I, look I don't know irrespective of what happens to the golf tours because I don't really care about that that's like how, where, where will the golfers earn their millions will it be in the uh, sunbay climbs of uh, southern Europe in the summertime or in the sunbay climbs of um, Florida and California yes it will is the answer yes yes, they will make their millions all over the world like they always do but uh, what Phil Mickelson is doing and what everybody else and what Greg Norman is doing is they're shilling for the Saudi Arabian regime and they're making loads of money doing it and they have to answer those questions and bring, they, bring, they bring not, Greg Norman invite him to, invite him to the press conference I say yeah they, they may not have to is the, is the thing and that would that probably be of, of great at this point although I, I do think that Greg Norman has a has a, f- a fairly good capacity to bury himself when he's talking about this sort of things he, he does doesn't seem to have anything other than a bit of a brass neck so I, I would definitely watch that I would definitely watch a head to head between Greg Norman and whichever member of the press pack is, is likely to ask those questions they, they, they all have to now that's the other thing is that like so there seems to have been a kerfuffle around uh, a press conference at Newcastle last week when uh, uh, there was a debate about whether or not some journalists were looking down on other journalists for talking about football like that's definitely what's going to happen in the golf uh, it's going to take a little bit longer it's definitely taking a while this, but this is this is easier for a journalist to ask a question because you've got the people who actually run the PGA Tour and the European Tour saying this is a disgrace and all of a sudden you're in the press rooms that are operated by these people if anything you'd be encouraged to do so alright it's true yeah exactly uh, and look loads of them have been asking questions all the way through so uh, fair play to those ones 7.42 this morning here on OTBAM um, I said yesterday in the show in passing that the Champions League semi-finals are some of the best sport in the world at the moment they really are it's like a divisional weekend or maybe the NFL championship weekend where you genuinely get the best teams 
Although the trouble with the American football is that the injury profile is so bad by the end of the season that you don't actually get the best players playing. But at the moment, mm. tonight's football, tonight's football should be the best of the two legs. I mean, I say that. It might not be. Villarreal might be perfectly set up to do something weird to Liverpool that forces Liverpool to a new level of greatness. But, like, Man City, Pep versus Real Madrid again. It's like, oh, well. Mm, so we meet again. Look what the cat dragged in. This, this is definitely the the more interesting of it. Like, I mean, it, it is interesting that, that that football all of a sudden have, uh, have a world where all their players are fit all the time and going these like ma- massive long seasons, Luck. fighting on multiple different fronts, and everybody's fit all the time. And they and they're running further and faster than they've ever done before. It's a it's a miracle. It looks stronger, and it's also like uh, lest we lest we be accused of hypocrisy. The sports washing going on in football is even like is just as disgusting as the sports washing going on in golf and in boxing and in athletics. I don't know, sports. <laughs> your local GA club might be the only thing that uh, your local soccer club. And the reason why this uh, these couple of games are going to be so good is because of uh, the the money that comes with that sports washing and, and how uh, grotesque the whole thing is. I think that uh, I got a DM off somebody after the last, what was the last really great game? I suppose Real Madrid-Chelsea or maybe Real Madrid-PSG and it was like grotesque capitalism at its best again and I was like yes yeah. I, like I mean uh, we make a decision every time we watch uh, the, the, this stage of the Champions League I think once you get to the knockout stages of the Champions League uh, you make a decision to just uh, park it in the back of your head and I mean it probably isn't something that we should that we should do but it is something that we, we, uh, that we uh, that's think. how it works it's like um, but I, I think I, you know like the games are going to happen so we we need to watch them and it would be churlish not to enjoy them right exactly yes exactly And uh, did you not enjoy Tyson Fury's uppercut when you when you searched the gif of it afterwards, did you not go, wow, that's some punch? Yeah, but it was, there was also a push on the back of it, you know? And like Dillian White has come out afterwards and said, he cheated, you're not allowed to push a guy in the boxing ring. Mm, I, mean, like, you, I mean, I was just going to rest my head on your shoulder for a minute yeah. there, come to my senses, and then everything would have been fine again. So no, I did not enjoy the uppercut because he pushed me, cheated. Okay. He, uh, he, I he's, quite enjoyed he's the uppercut. Over. No, it was. It was like a, I don't think you can watch Tyson Fury and not enjoy everything that he does. Really, he, he that, that's that's the whole problem here. Without the little asterisk and the caveat, you know, yeah, the, the dark cloud following you, going, I should, this is so, am I? I'm I'm just I'm just part of the problem. Well, it, but it depends on whether or not you pay for the pay per view. If, if you're part of the problem, or or speaking about it and adding oxygen to it, maybe could be go. part of the problem as well. But when he fights Anthony Joshua or Anthony or Usyk, definitely going to watch that. Well, like I think so, and I I think that if you're just interested in like a an artist at the moment in boxing, it is Fury, and I think that's been the case for the last few years, even before he was so flagrantly public about his relationship with Daniel Kinnahan. I think that's um, I think pe- people would have been on that bandwagon anyway. So I think I think the the word you're looking for is it's it's isn't it a shame that this happened to the thing that I already enjoyed, and uh, I'm going to continue to enjoy this thing even though I realise it is a shame. Life is complicated, mm. but the football tonight will be absolutely amazing. Like uh, tonight, tonight is definitely the one. Like uh, I think that obviously there's a, a huge expectation that Liverpool are going to be in the final on the other side of the draw. Villarreal have obviously created a, a couple of big upsets earlier in the competition. I, I don't think that they played a team of Liverpool's quality. So you're looking at that fixture, and it doesn't necessarily have the semi-final glamour. No, but Liverpool but sometimes they they're a bit off in some of these games. You want you want it to be a team worse than Liverpool going up against the Villarreal. Like Ajax Tottenham in 2019 was fantastic because Tottenham. Weren't at a weren't at a great level themselves. I would suggest. Uh, I mean, no, they it, weren't. They had a crap season. So that means that they were in a situation going into the second half for the second game and the late stage of the second game where they needed a massive comeback. Um, like obviously Liverpool, if that's how they end up beating Villarreal, that'll be fantastic. But you'd just worry a little bit that Liverpool are going to be a bit too strong for them. All right.
first uh, world problems. Exactly. Uh, 0879-180-180 that's the WhatsApp number OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day here's what's going up between now and 10 o'clock this morning power rankings very troubled power rankings Sam Lee is going to join us at 10 past 8 for our check in at Manchester City newspapers Ronald Mullen is going to talk boxing big weekend massive historic weekend for Katie Taylor uh, we're bringing a news update Aidan Fogarty is going to join us at 10 past 9 to preview the weekend's hurling as well and look back on last weekend again the hurling like the massive games are coming thick and fast go to Kenny this weekend and uh, also the Clare hurlers Clare and Cork who knows what's going to happen Clare might be dragging Cork into that deep water and drowning them this weekend or Cork could be reborn we'll see uh, but at 7.47 it is time for mm, yeah, pensive, self-reflective, mm, sorry, apologetic power rankings. Some of these critics, these pundits. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time for them, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it. It's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team. All you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency, but they just dismiss you like, like you, you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. Right. I said an apologetic version of the power rankings here on. A vindicated version of the power. The power rankings are always in vindicated form because everything is ultimately proven to be correct. Albert Reynolds came out and uh, and won like a euro or a penny or something in a in a live election against the Sunday Times. And he was like, vindicated, vindicated. Everyone was like, really? Because normally everybody gets like millions when they're uh, vindicated in this situation. You're a bit of, you're did, the... Did or, did or did he not earn a profit as a result of that live election I mean I'd say the legal fees might have resulted in all I'm seeing is a plus in the column and that plus it doesn't matter what the magnitude is and that's the way the power rankings are every single week in full on Albert Reynolds post court case mode at 32 still is uh, Waterford indicated uh, at still at 31 is Carlo so we've gone through two teams here that have uh, proven my point of vindication. Uh, forget about all the, the red and the green that you're going to see here and all the movement that we uh, are now about to go through. But uh, London are down into 30th. Leash, the big fallers this week. One of the big fallers this week, down to 29th. It's been a terrible season for them so far. Billy Sheehan looked absolutely despondent after their defeat at the weekend. They obviously got relegated to Division 4 and they go into the Talzin Cup. Uh, 28 is Sligo. Uh, they had a win against New York, but as we'll get to in a moment, there's been a couple of risers from the uh, first page. Leitrim stayed put at 27th. They had a win against Lo- London since we lasted our last uh, update in the power rankings. Longford are yet to play there in 26th. Antrim were beaten by 13 points against Cavan last weekend. A really impressive performance from Cavan. They're down to 25th. And then Offaly, sorry, Offaly are the biggest fallers this week. They're down to 24th, plummeting after getting beaten by Wexford. Not too many people would have seen that coming, despite the fact that Offaly did have injuries, of course, and, and were down a couple of players. Uh, I think it was more to do with the fact that Wexford weren't actually great in the National League this year, somehow pulling out that result. They were at home, and they're up there to 23rd place, up seven places to 23rd. Wow. Um, they're the biggest risers. They would be, yes. I think so. I think they are. Um, they are, yeah. Um, like, this... I, I'm not sure too many people would have called this like they said that they had great confidence themselves and as I say like you didn't necessarily point them out during the league and say there's a team who's going to cause an upset like that maybe because they were in a division with Cavan and Tipperary and that kind of battened down any opportunity for, for there to be a bit of a bolter from the traditional division four teams 
but I, th- I think that they've, they've just timed their run absolutely perfectly. Even in comparison to this time last year, like you look at someone like Ben Brosnan, I know he's got a, a lot of attention because he's been around for so long, but he scored 1-8. He wasn't there for the Dublin game last year and he was saying in the aftermath that he was just hoping all year for the last 12 months let's just get Dublin again, let's get Dublin again, let's get Dublin again. And his 1-8 at the weekend means that they're getting Dublin again and he's getting the opportunity to play them again. And they've been pretty straight up about it. They've literally said in the aftermath, it could have been Brosnan or maybe it was their manager who said, yeah, Dublin aren't as good as they were last year. So, now it wasn't a close one thing. What was it? Was it six to eight points or something like that? I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it felt close. It felt like the beginning of a Dublin decline last year. And... That'll be an interesting subtext going into this game this weekend. And Wexford, as I say, are at home. 15 uh, points to 7 points. So 8 points, OK. Uh, so it was over double scores, to be fair. So not, not exactly a close run thing, as I say. But like it's it, it, Wexford will look at that game with a bit more appetite than they would have done Six, four years ago. Uh, Wicklow are the other risers, obviously, uh, this week after their win against Leash. This is something that was less surprising because of the opposition that Wicklow were up against. I know Offaly did get relegated, as did did Leash, but Offaly were obviously coming from a much higher base. Um, Kevin Quinn got his hat-trick against Leash in that game. This was their first win against Leash since 1986. Mees might be a little bit worried at the weekend. I, again, I think it's not to the same magnitude as Dublin, but I think Mees will be just fine this weekend. They're at home as well. They're in, this game is taking place in Navin, but... Uh, you just don't know when you've got these two teams coming in off the, the back of some huge wins. So Wexford Wicklow, the big risers, there's been a bit of chaos above that. So uh, teams that are getting beaten are rising, teams that are winning are dropping and all that sort of stuff because uh, there's been a few boulders, as you can imagine. Uh, Fermanagh are in at 21st. They're out of the championship. They lost to Tyrone. Down are in at 20th. They're yet to play in the championship. Westmeath also yet to play in at 19th. Uh, Tip and Limerick also yet to play. They're in at 18th and 17th, respectively. And then Cork in at 16th. They've been leapfrogged. They've, of course, yet to play. They're playing at Parkley Rin against Kerry on the 7th of May. And Louth have gone above them. Right. This has been a hell of a spring for them. Like Mickey Hart taking over was always a bit of a headline grabbing thing, and you weren't quite sure what he was going to do with them in, in season one. But season two, it seems that they've gone to a whole other level. He's obviously got the players to work with. He's got a great set of forwards. And of course, Samuel Roy is the guy who's taken most of the attention. 2 5 at the weekend, 5.56 in league and championship so far this year. He was asked after the game if he was happy with his tally. His answer no. He wanted more. This guy's hungry for points and goals. He, th- he thought he had a few more opportunities. He set up, I think, 1 1 as well on top of that. I'm telling you, I don't know I, I don't know how it didn't move the needle yesterday, but I'm <laughs> the loud plus 5 at uh, a touch over evens. Well, that, that I think, the, the the handicap is definitely something worth looking at. I do think Kildare will win at the weekend, but it's it's a game. Is it on, is it on TV? Full uh, game? I presume because it's Sunday. on Sunday. So I presume not. Uh, but that's that's something you would you would pay to watch for sure, uh, at least even after the hurling, to watch the full thing back because, yeah, I think I think that five points is an interesting one to, to look at. Like, when I mentioned the, the forwards that they have as well, like, it's worth paying the admission fee to see Connor Grimes and Kieran Byrne who've been constant figures throughout this season as well for, for Loud in, in that forward line and that's probably what's helping Mulroy here a bit as well is that he does have players around him that are excellent so this is not this sort of you know Roy the Rovers one man team he's been brilliant he's been arguably the well, I think he has been the, the top scoring forward so far this year so um, that's that, that, that just kind of marks where they're at like it was a 15 point win against Carlo yeah like, I mean, well, <laughs> that's, the, that's, that's the level of the hammering we've seen dished out here so that's not becoming of a team who who are kind of like a division 3 team um, this says to me that Lau they're a team who got promoted to division 2 and are planning on staying there it's in Tullamore I don't like it Kildare hate Tullamore I don't like it 
I don't like the build up to this. I don't like the I don't like the ghosts. No thanks. What about Paul Mescal's shorts though? Well, Paul Mescal's shorts might be enough to swing it in our favour. Is that not a good omen? I'm telling you, they should be the best selling GAA item in the history of every anything. Now the fact that I mean, I, this, there's like room to cash in here. He did a little message for a walk recently, and it didn't it didn't get any pop. And here he is at Coachella in the shorts, his signature look. Coachella looks crap, but I guess Paul Mescal was... Uh, was it wasn't even really the Versace version, it was actually the O'Neill's version, wasn't it? It was genuine Kildare GA shorts, but the thing is, he like is he sending out a message to Kildare to wish come him luck? Come and get me, come and or get me, Come and get me, because he doesn't always wear Kildare shorts. Sometimes he wears the Versace ones, does he? Uh, Gucci, wasn't it? Who did it? Was it? Well, but I, I don't think so. No, I think I it's, it's always genuine. Yeah, like he was, he did play minor. Like he's got a lot of free GA shorts. Well, three or four anyway left. De- well, definitely. But then it, there was def- different ones. But there was there, there, like whenever he's out in public wearing GA shorts, the photo necessarily goes viral. So uh, I haven't seen him. I haven't seen the, these Kildare ones too often. So I'm chalking that down as the main reason why Kildare are going to win this weekend. Claire in at 14th. They haven't played. Cavan have leapfrogged them because they were so good at the weekend. Uh, a few people actually picked against them or maybe were nervous for Cavan's prospects but it seems that Division 4 hasn't done them a whole pile of harm. They do have Donegal in the next round. It'll be a hell of a story if they manage to beat Donegal and therefore qualify themselves for the All-Ireland Championship for Sam Maguire and not uh, fall into the Talisman Cup. Paddy Lynch kicked eight points for them on his championship ge- debut at the weekend and it feels like stories like that just go under the radar because of the division in which they're playing National League football. So you're kind of happening upon these stories in the championship on the bigger stage he also set up Grove McKiernan's goal and a 13 point win against Antrim at the weekend again that I, same same for that Cavan plus 5 yeah uh, where, do you know where that game is on do you have it handy um, got it written down first where it is that, that game was in the athletic rounds in 2020 I think wasn't it that Ulster final uh, so maybe the, the final is the one that it goes neutral and then it's home away agreements outside of that. I don't know, but um, if 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 Kevin are at home, you you definitely look at that. Uh, Meath stay put at number twelve. Derry stay put at number eleven. Both of those teams yet to play, and then Kildare, as we've mentioned, get their championship underway this weekend. They start our top ten. They're down a place because we obviously have a riser coming up. Ross Common down to number nine. They're yet to play, obviously in this year's championship. Armagh uh, down to eighth. I think that maybe they'd been dropping in these power rankings at the end of the league. That's why they're the most correct vindicated power rankings. The the trend, the Armagh trend has just uh, continued and they're down one place. You're, you're grandfathering in your correctness here, which is completely incorrect. Where are Armagh second at one point in these? After the first... They beat the Dubs in Croke Park. Yeah, so they were second and they've fallen to eighth. Were they second? I'm not sure if they were second. They were definitely top three or four. Is this the highest goal they've ever been this season? This season. Operating in Division 2, they've been lingering in around the top dozen and they're up to seventh. This is obviously going to be the thing that annoys people the most, I would suggest. I'm not going to uh, try and deny that. Galway not being above Mayo. Uh, Monaghan in at number sixth. And uh, Mayo have dropped. They've dropped a couple of places down to number five. So Mayo have dropped. Galway have risen. But I'm just putting the situation of Galway leapfrogging Mayo in these rankings on ice for the moment. Why? If, if Galway do win the Connacht Championship and if and if go away, go to Mayo Fortress Mayo mm-hmm. Mayo unveiling the new pitch for the first time yeah obviously not wasn't great for them uh, before a supposedly feverish home crowd and absolutely spanked them for 68 minutes yeah right and they nearly collapsed over the line they, but they were like a um, they were like a long distance runner who goes into muscle spasm at the line but who's like 
streets and streets ahead. Just a little bit of muscle spasm at the end and then they fall over the line. And they're still not ahead of them in the power rankings. I think that there's a, a chance that this is the start of real progress for Galway. The, the awakening of a sleeping giant, I think, is how Kevin McStay puts it in the Irish Times this morning. But I, I, I just think that that's a chance. I'm, I'm not 100% sure yet that they are the dominant team in Connacht and in an All-Ireland sense. Like, you look at 2016, Galway went to Castlebar and they won. 2018, Galway go to Castlebar and they win. This is the third consecutive time they've gone to Castlebar and they've won. Now, I accept in 2018, they got further than Mayo in the All-Ireland Championship. But you compare their performance in the All-Ireland semi-final that year to, say, Mayo in the final the previous year against Dublin and Mayo in the final the previous year against Dublin. That I, I don't think you can make an argument that Galway around that era were a better team than Mayo. So those wins in Castle Bar were essentially this irrelevant. This team seems different. Well, see, that's the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly 100% sure if that's the case. I, I will 100%... I, I, there's every chance I'll be changing my tune on that in a while but I just want to see more I just want to see more I just want to see this Galway team win this championship get, beat Roscommon after losing to them twice Do you not think that there's something weird about Galway in that they seem to have the most natural footballers outside of Kerry that actually their ability to produce half-backs and half-forwards who can solo the ball at the same pace they run at and who are excellent kickers is unparalleled apart from Kerry that they're, they're a team who needs to create athletes as opposed to a team who needs to create footballers. Everybody else, or the whole rest of the country, is like, we've got athletes, let's turn them into footballers. With Galway, it's like, we have these amazing footballers, two-footed, half the team seems two-footed, and they have vision and they have everything else, but they they like, they were flaky as bejesus over the last decade. Yeah. You could not trust them. This year, all of their main players seem to be fit. Now, we don't know what's going to happen over the next few weeks. That might, and the the squad depth could be paper thin. But for the first time in a long time, everybody seems to be fit. And their manager stopped banging on about, oh, this is traditional Galway style. And he battened down the hatches. Maybe that's to do with Keenan. Maybe it's to do with Divoli having a, a more of a say. But it seems like they finally cottoned on to the fact that, like, you need a defensive structure. And that's actually really more important for a team who has the natural footballers that they have. And so it was only their flakiness that I thought that was going to prevent them from getting here. But they seemed not to be flaky at the weekend. They were pretty flaky for the last five minutes, but it didn't cost them. It almost did. And I, I think that there's a bit of, a small bit of scoreboard journalism going on there. But That's all right, the scoreboard counts. It does, but, you, I, but what I was just about to say, in fairness, is that you could also use that uh, in favour of Mayo as well. You know, the, the Mayo argument of, oh, they only lost by a point, when in actual fact they were down by so much at the end. So was, I think maybe if you discard that for a sec, if we just dig down a little bit deeper into like some of the, the stats like uh, Mayo had 32 shots to Galway's 24 the efficiency rate was completely different though Galway 62% Mayo 50% uh, from play then it was Mayo 20, 22 um, shots Galway 20 shots so that efficiency rate from free taking was is one of the real problems here Galway went 100% and Mayo were 70% so I'm not sure is that something that Mayo fixed over the next little while I think from play it's something they have to fix it did cost them against their own in last year's All-Ireland final it felt so maybe this is a theme that that Horan has really tried to address and has been unable to do so. The other thing is that Mayo did win more turnovers than Galway. Like uh, you, you can't really look at the kickouts as as a sign of, of anything to read into figures wise because Mayo or Galway dropped off the Mayo kickout. But but Mayo did do well on the on, on the Galway kickout. And there were a number of different factors here that would suggest to me that if they have Henley back, if they have Durkham back, if they've got a fully fit O'Shea Mullen, a fully fit Killian O'Connor, a fully fit Dermot O'Connor, they uh, might not. Uh, like you know? th- then I, w- I would say. But I think there's just so Jordan Flynn. There's just so many players there. But so much doubt about all of them. Like and there's no guarantee that any of those are going to come back. It's like Khan. Not is, all of them, but like the, 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 I would say that there you could 
be fairly certain that there is going to be a collection of those players who will be fully fit come the end of the season. Who will be fully fit and peaking? Well, because they might. They're, they're, I mean, who knows who they're going to play in in their next game? But it could be a really good team. It could be a mediocre enough team. And, and that's enough. why this. That's why this is like a, a, a sort of a higher wire suggestion to say that Mayo are still better than Galway because they could get dumped out next week, and this would look like a very foolish thing to say. But I, I, I just do think that I, I'm, st- I'm still I thinking think that I, who, who are you backing to go all the I'll, way in the All Ireland if they're in the same place and, and you're backing Mayo? Granted, they've been given a setback right now. And that makes Galway more likely. Obviously, they only have to, they've still got the safety net of going through the qualifiers if they need to. But I I'm just okay. So we're we're at a we're at an All Ireland semi final draw stage, right? And in one pot it's Kerry, and in the other pot I have two hot balls, and they're it's uh, Galway and Mayo. Which of these hot balls do you want me to pick out? Well, you could say that the last time Kerry played Galway and Croke Park, Galway beat them. But I, I still think Mayo are more of a threat in Croke Park. They got to the last two All Ireland finals. Let's say today with the, with the available players they have and the level of fitness that we have, um, which is what with, you're making the power rankings today. Yeah, no, I'm, you can change the power I, rankings I the week before that Mayo play their first round of the qualifiers when we know Flynn is back and Henley's back. Yeah. And I would still I would still say Mayo are, are a slight more threat if it's like season on the line. You're you're going home. It's in Crow Park. It's full. Uh, like I, I think, like I, also the other thing about this, and Galway deserve huge credit for this, is the the way that they set up was Mayo specific. It felt on Sunday, maybe not, maybe this is the the system that they deploy over the next little while. But it did feel like the double sweepers was like the kryptonite for Mayo, and it, it was the, the the way to expose how Mayo's one dimensional attack is going to be something that probably means they're not going to win the All Ireland. That doesn't mean they can't go very very close to winning it again this year. And I'd just be interested to see how Galway cope with, I guess, being favourites in this Connacht final, which they probably will be if it's going to be themselves against Ross Common, uh, and how they cope with that pressure over the next little while. And those flair players that you mentioned, the skillful players, how to unlock them even more. Like, all right, all right, they're your power rankings. That's just my uh, current current feeling on on that. Donegal are up to fourth after their win against Armagh at the weekend. They you were, trust Donegal again? I trust them over the the next little while for sure. And Dublin and Green. Why are Dublin and Green? Because Mayo have dropped out of the top three. Mayo were third before these, and uh, by default, Dublin have slipped into the top three. Con is back. He's going to play this weekend, according to the back of the Herald. They're fresh from their training camp in Portugal, and the national league is over. It's done. That, that league version of, of Dublin just like that league version of Limerick is done it's dusted and I think there's a, a slight sense of optimism ar- around what Dublin are going to do I still think it'll be a massive shock if they didn't win Leinster this year and again we can't really make any predictions with regards to what's going to happen in the quarterfinal draw Tyrone stay put at number 2 they'd be formatted by 7 points in their opening game Were they good enough to stay at number 2? You're also kind of blah blah blahing away that because it was inferior opposition that they got sucked into a weird game Yeah like I don't think that there was enough about it to, to drop them off that place. I think that they finished the league quite strongly. I think that they finished that game against Fermanagh quite strongly. Like I think that uh, seven points made Fermanagh look quite good in the end, even though they played very well for a lot of that first half. I still think Toronto have done enough to stay number two and Kerry haven't played yet in the championship. They're still in at number one. Is there a possibility that some of the dubs are about to peak? Do you know what age Cormac Oslo is off the top of your head? 28. He's actually only 27, yeah. He's 28 in, in July, but... Around the time of the All Ireland this year, um, like it, it, traditionally, you would have said the players come into their peak. They have the experience and all the know-how and all that kind of stuff around between the ages of twenty-eight and thirty-two. Um, he's had a pretty good career so far. Yeah, not bad. Like Fenton's the same age. Kilkenny's the same age. They're all ninety-three, aren't they? So, like the uh, they're all your age, right? Of course. 
Yeah, it's slightly older. That's how you know. Yeah, it's slightly older. And uh, like I mean, the, the, he's, he's ninety-four. The Costello is. Yeah. Oh shit! I'm gonna be twenty-eight this year. Uh, the uh, the um, Conroy situation as well at the weekend. It's like look at this person who's actually operating at their peak at the age of thirty-two. Like I mean, does does a time away from the game injury enforce the course uh, elongate his career a little bit? I, I don't know like you would have thought it would do the opposite but maybe it's just kind of the freshness that that brings after getting back to the game after a little while out is something that helps him that, like I, I, it's hard to pin down what exactly is the peak for a GA player at the moment considering a lot of those dubs were so good in their early 20s yeah and, and uh, they were coming into a very good situation and now they have to step up and be the absolute leaders of a team and if they were to do that that would be if they were to build a second dynasty I mean it would be an amazing rivalry that they're about to have with Kerry if, uh, if they can hit a second peak and uh, be galvanised so uh, it, that's I think one of the most interesting subplots are, are Tyrone going to be the same as they were are, is that the corpse of Mayo that we saw at the weekend or are they about to rise Lazarus like how did Mayo end up in a league final how, how did that happen they beat Kildare just about and that was enough to get them the points to get through like they beat Dublin like if you if you look, if you look through they beat, they beat like they beat Armagh who were going well at the time they lost the carry by just one point in Chile. Like I know that they they love that location. Um, like you mentioned there, the win against Kildare, which was significant enough to beat Monaghan in Clonus, remember? Like Mayo did have big wins. Like this, these last two games are not becoming of Mayo in 2022. Even I accepted the stakes have got higher and higher over the was last. There's something. Was there some weird complacency about the home venue? Was there something weird going on? Because the the atmosphere was dead. I thought. For and I, look, I wasn't at it. I was watching on TV, but it seemed like they were kind of less into the game than they should have been for the fact that Galway were rolling into town with a big axe to grind it didn't make any sense it, it, is it just the qualifiers and the back door does that just change the Mayo psyche a little the urgency bit? like I mean they are, they've, it certainly seemed that, it seemed that there was a bit of an urgency about them and it felt like they were under massive pressure against Galway last year now in fairness that Galway game last year like Shane Walsh does go off injured that's a pretty like that's it's hugely significant in the, like the the, the the instant Infinity went off injured him. Was it the, the Galway prevented himself from scoring a goal in that? Was it a double whammy? There was some weird thing that happened. He, he banged the post or something. Yeah, that, that rings a bell. And and then the, the previous year, I'm not sure what the mitigating factor was. And in it. fairness, Mayo should have had a man sent off for the Shane Walsh thing. Yeah, like or at least black carded. So like that, like that, those are definitely factors as well. But I, I do think that's like when Mayo see the fact that there's a qualifier, they're like, yeah, give me that. Give me give me the, give me a couple of games in the back door because okay. they just love that. Compco Productions. Hello, Compco. Good morning to you. Uh, New York. Why London, but no New York? Good point. You can start sticking them in. Yeah. Team 33. Yeah, well, exactly. We'll, we'll, the, Talton, the Talton Cup, might, uh, I'm actually not sure how that's going to factor into our power rankings, Is uh, might see a resurgence of a few of those teams. You can do what this, the SPL does and separate it into two competitions. Yeah. What a great competition that is. We all pay attention to the bottom six of that. Uh, Willow Callan says, awfully, that's our will, says Offaly deserve to drop more places for having our best player of the last 25 years as sub-goalkeeper last Sunday Niall McNamee was sub-keeper amidst the injury crisis Uh, or they deserve to have fewer a bit of a smaller drop but that is a shocking result for them even notwithstanding the injuries that they have Uh, Connor says Mayo will still go further in the championship than Galway and Roscommon will beat Galway in the Connacht final Galway a good team but not as good as Jerry saying I'm, I'm not saying that yet that they're a great team but they've produced this unbelievable group of footballers and frequently the crops come like mushrooms overnight I just think the skill level they're like Welsh rugby I don't know what I don't know how but there's just a you don't you don't agree well, with this I, I know exactly how like I mean Galway's a massive county Galway's got a, a city 
That's like Wales is like. I mean, a, is, it, is it a real city? <laughs> like it's Kilkenny City, Waterford City, like, well, Galway City. Wales feels Tal more is bigger. Like I mean, Tal is bigger. Okay, fair, fair enough. Like that's why uh, that's why Dublin are in third. But like I mean, with Wales, like how are you competing with England and France all the time with the massive countries that they have? It's the skill set. It's yeah. it's this weird little. I don't I don't understand. But there's something there that they need to do, be more successful with. Uh, Galway win all Ireland's Mayo don't. End of story, says Dave. Uh, who's going to win Northern first, Galway or Mayo? Well, that's a, that is an entirely different question. Who's going to win Northern first? I think uh, Mayo. Mayo. No evidence. Well, there's evidence for that. There's evidence for that. That's just my opinion. That's evidence for that. It's just, it is just my opinion. I think. Ten minutes past eight. That's this <laughs> week's power rankings. <laughs> I absolutely adore them lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're, they're a great bunch. But it's not acceptable. No, it's not. Ex- not acceptable, and yet we still persist with doing it. OTBAM <laughs> is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're going to talk about the biggest game in world football tonight. It is uh, the money of Real Madrid versus the money of Manchester City with Sam Lee next. OTB AM. This is OTB Sports Radio. Oh, the ball's the best, number one. It's the GOAT of sports apps. Talk about the greatest of all time. Nathan, you know Big Joe. Big Joe's the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. We know it. <laughs> so Every single me. time. Yes. Yes. It's tough going. It's it's tough for my ego. I, I'm going to say right. I'm the Djokovic of this scenario. <laughs> Love it. Love it. This is OTB Sports Radio. Download the OTB Sports app now. FBD Insurance knows this sound spells trouble for van drivers. But if you're an existing FBD customer, you'll get 15% off a new van insurance policy. It's how we're keeping you and your van on the road. Visit fbd.ie or contact your local branch. FBD Insurance. Support. It's what we do. Terms and conditions apply. 15% discount available on new commercial motor policies only when an existing FBD farm, business, car or home policy is in place. FBD Insurance Group Limited, trading as FBD Insurance, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Commercial motor insurance is underwritten by FBD Insurance PLC. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with Exfoliating Bar. All right, 11 minutes past eight. You're very welcome back to OTBAM. Time for us to turn our attention to the Champions League semi-finals. I've been saying this now for a couple of days, but this is some of the best sport you're ever going to watch. So make sure you're in front of your TV tonight for Real Madrid against Manchester City. Not just for the subplots, but for the quality of football. Sam Lee of The Athletic is with us. Sam, good morning to you. Good morning. Um... Many ghosts of Champions League semi-finals for Pep Guardiola. How has his general mood been this week? Is he uh, King Lear raving on the heat or is he actually nice and calm and methodical and his normal self? What is it? Yeah, no, nice and calm. I mean, he has been, particularly since the international break, when you come back from that and it's Liverpool twice and Atletico Madrid twice and you think it'll be easy to be nervous and tetchy and whatever. Um, He was on great form before those games. Yesterday, in terms of the press conference, you know, he's obviously got that history with the Spanish press. And after the, after the way the Atletico Madrid press conferences went, you know, when they kind of, I would say, misinterpreted his comments on Atletico Madrid style, he didn't want to get into any of that at all. So by the time the Spanish questions were asked at the end, he had like, he's like, I have no idea about that, or I'm not talking about that, and that was it, move on. So he was a bit tetchy in that sense. But I think overall, in fact, I heard from somebody yesterday who just said he's in a great place at the minute. He's... He's loving life, would you believe? We, we never quite know with Pep what's going to happen, considering he walked away from Barcelona when it looked like 
there were a number more years that he could have stayed there to hoover up Champions League titles with the best player in the world and some of the, uh, you know, the best style of play. So we never quite know how long or if a clock is ticking uh, about his, his tenure at Manchester City, but it appears as if perhaps he's here for a longer stay than maybe we anticipated when he arrived. Well, yeah, I mean, he's probably, I guess he's here already longer than we than we thought. I was six years ago. Um, and, he, you know, he's so, well, surely going to do at least another season. Uh, yeah, if he signed another contract, I wouldn't be too surprised. What you say there about Barca, I suppose, I suppose it goes to show there's not so much about not always about the players at your disposal, but just kind of, don't, don't, I don't know, job satisfaction, but just how how nice the, the day-to-day job is. And, you know, at Barca, he was fighting loads of battles, not necessarily with Mourinho and Madrid, but, like, with his own kind of board, with, you know, within Barca, there was so much politics that he kind of stood up and, and fronted. And in the end, that wore him down. Whereas at City, and I, I kind of wrote this in my article, before this, before this game, and at Bayern Munich as well. At Bayern Munich, you had people above his head. You had Franz Beckenbauer, who was an honorary president. But you had Rummenigge, who was the, the president. You had Sammer, who was the sporting director, just constantly talking to the media, whether it was good, bad, constructive, whatever. And you just think, it's City. He's got none of that. He's got none of the battles with the Spanish press because they all went home years ago because they got bored of him winning and thought there's no story here. But he's got nobody at City going above his head and... Uh, and and talking to the press and putting pressure on him. Everything's geared towards making his life easy and as easy as it possibly can be to manage this football team. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. I mean, there might have to be a bit of a shake-up in terms of the squad because it's been largely the same group of players for so long. But, yeah, he's he's in a great place and it's it's for reasons like that, really. So when Pep Guardiola starts as Manchester City manager, the press room at the Etihad is, is full of Spanish hacks, and nowadays it, it just isn't. And yeah, yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot, um, and not not all. Like, um, and not all of them were you know the, the kind of stereotypical Spanish journalists. You know, Al Chiringuito out, out for controversy. Not all of them at all. But I think even like some of the editors back in Spain were just like, okay, well, there's, there's no story here anymore. They're just winning. But there was definitely a sense of glee in the first season or so when they weren't doing so well and yeah after after a couple of years that obviously dried up um and yeah sadly because they're a great group of lads but we i mean there was enough to to play a full game of five a side each you know we we used to go down and play during the days with like nine or ten spanish lads but now there's just like one or two so yeah that that kind of tells you the, the climate of what they want from pep guardiola in spain versus the reality of how it's actually been does Pep Guardiola make a mental note of that? Does he still remember those days where there might have been a few naysayers from Spain in the press room? And does he carry that with him into it to, a, to a, I guess, a week like this? Um, well, I mean, it wouldn't even have to be, like I say, before with the Atletico Madrid press conferences, it wouldn't have to be examples from three, four years ago. But, I mean, obviously he would. He'd, he'd remember that from his time at Barca. He'd even remember it from his time at Bayern because when they played Real Madrid that year, and obviously Madrid won heavily, you know, there was a lot of glee, again, in, in the Spanish media about how it panned out. So he'd remember that. But, yeah, with the Atletico Madrid thing, I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but he talked about how, how Madrid played two banks of five. And he said, basically, what he was trying to say was that is, was, and always will be hard to defend against. But he was like, even from the prehistoric times, now and in the future, that will be difficult to defend against. Um, but a few in Madrid kind of picked up on the prehistoric bit 
and said that was a criticism. And then every press conference since, they were like, well, you said this about Diego Simeone, but you did this tonight. And he's like, well, well I didn't say this. And then the next question would be like, but you said this. And he's like, well, I didn't. And, and it was just, you could see when the Madrid press came around this time and one asked him about styles of play and Xavi said this and Ancelotti says this. What do you think? He's like, I'm just not getting into it. Mm-hmm. Because he just, know, he just knows the way it's, it's going. It's going down that same route of you could decide Simeone and, and whatever, whatever. He actually said, don't, don't come looking for me in your, in your ba- styles, your battle of styles. Now, this is nothing to do with me. This is something you kind of constructed. And I think maybe people kind of didn't quite appreciate, you know, despite the contrasting styles, you know, the, the huge degree of respect between Guardiola and Simeone, that that was probably blown up to be something that it really bigger, bigger than it really was for the last round. And there could be a temptation to do something similar this time, could there? Like, despite the fact that Pep has said in the past that Ancelotti brought him into training sessions in AC Milan and, and has always had a, a really great respect for him. Um, I think there's probably more respect between Ancelotti and Pep because the, the, the funny thing was, Pep was going out of his way to say, look, I didn't actually say this about Simeone. Um, Simeone did have a bit of a nibble about it. Um, but I think deep down, they, they probably don't like each other, actually. Right. Um, I, I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure that, that's the case. But with Pep and Ancelotti, yeah, for sure. Um, they were always very close to Ancelotti. It was in England as well. Um, it, it's funny, actually, the last time they played, it was... It was Everton, um, and I remember Ancelotti saying, look, we, we tried to maybe go a bit more physical and, and a bit more direct, but City can do that as well. And then obviously you can't really tie and outgun them because they're so good at that. So obviously it's a different kettle of fish tonight with Real Madrid. But yeah, for sure, there, there'll be much more respect between those two than, than with Simeone, even though obviously in public, How you'll do- you, you always get that anyway. What was your take on how the Manchester City players dealt with the disrespect from the Atletico players? Because it seemed to me, you know, like it became a bit of a street brawl, obviously, and at the end of both legs, really, in, in the last round. But Manchester yeah. City, the players seemed to, to brush it off in an OK way. I'm, I'm not sure, maybe I'm just reacting to the fact that they won the game in the end and they had the last laugh, literally. But uh, like it felt that they, they did OK and when, when faced with that sort of stuff. Well, I mean, arguably, City were were better at those dark arts. Mm. You can look at it in a positive light or a negative. But they, you know, they, they were, well, you could say worse in terms of the time-wasting and um, um, exaggerating injuries, obviously Foden rolling back on the pitch. <laughs> you know, they, they, they did everything that Atletico Madrid do and Atletico Madrid are normally criticised for. But in terms of like, handling it better, yeah, what I would say with that was when it kicked off at the end, you know, Atletico could have had two red cards. They completely rose to the bait. They um, they lost their heads with it. You know, these are supposed to be the masters of it. You'd think what they would do is wind teams up, and then when it kicks off, you can't stand back and watch them implode. But it was funny because it was Atletico who imploded, and City they only had one booking in that melee at the end, and that was Nathan Ake just kind of being the closest one to Foden and just grabbing Savage and pushing him off him. Like probably was a yellow card, but it was nothing more than that. Whereas obviously Savage could have been sent off for a headbutt. Um, the only thing that City failed at in terms of the dark arts there was Sterling should have gone down and drew everyone's attention <laughs> to the head book. but they were, they were experts at it they really were ah, and again look, like, you, can, like, you can like it or not uh, no, I, I made, depends on your view I made that exact point in the immediate aftermath of the game Sam and the, the City fans at the time hammered me but now I yeah. suspect they're like well actually well, we should be proud of that because that's the whole point about maturing in, in European competition you're going to come up against Atletico one, one time and then the next time you're going to come up against Real Madrid so um 
they've learned how to deal with Atletico. They haven't yet reached the point where they can get through these two-legged semi-finals to to see the final. What do they need to do? What do they need not to do when it comes to the two legs against Real Madrid? How much how much is Pep going to just let the team be the team tonight and not make any changes, not not fall into the trap of the the uh, Bayern Munich um, listening to the players? What's he going to do tonight? Do you think? Well, that's a funny thing because. The, the idea of him listening to anybody else, well, apart from like his assistants now regarding team selection, is just completely mad. That's another thing of how he's changed. Like, there was even a bit in one of those Marty Perinal books about his game against Atletico Madrid in 2016. He was like, oh, if we do this, the fans would like it. And he just think, can you imagine him thinking, oh yeah, well, City fans would like this, or the players would like this? Just, there's just no chance. In terms of him making changes, you never know. So last year, on their run to the final. It was obviously different because there was no fans because of COVID. But um, he kept the same solid team, basically. And he met, it was either Rodri or Fernandinho or Zinchenko or Cancelo. But everyone else was the same. And everyone thought, OK, no more changes, no more tinkering. And then obviously made changes for the final. Um, in terms of what they're going to have to do tonight, I, tonight, you know, they're just going to have to just, just play their game. They don't, they don't have to try and rush for anything. They can see how it pans out. Um, I think removing away goals has meant it's always more likely to go to the second game. I suppose we saw that with Madrid and Chelsea in the last one. So, yeah, the big difference between this year and last year when they got to the final is they're going to the Bernabeu. You know, the, the crowd is, you know, the, the crowd can really um, change things. And as we saw with the with Madrid, 3-0 down against Chelsea and really on the ropes, they created that goal out of nothing. And I know a big thing for Guardiola during his time at City, but I also think during his time at Bayern as well, is how the team respond to those setbacks. You know, if, if you concede a penalty or you have somebody sent off or you concede a goal, don't, you know, lose your heads and then be in danger of conceding another one straight away. I actually asked Bernardo Silva about that before the Atletico Madrid game, and he said he thinks they're much better at that. I asked Guardiola as well, and he was like, yeah, we're better, but it doesn't mean we're going to go and win. Fine. But, uh, yeah, so they're better equipped at dealing with that. But that's, I think that's what they're going to have to watch out for. It's the fact that they can be up in the game. They can be bossing it. They couldn't be having more possession, more chances. And then Madrid just going down the other end and score one goal. And it's how they react to that. So that is going to be the key to the whole tie, I think, over both games. There's a fair degree of transfer talk around Manchester City on the back page this morning as well as match preview. That's around Declan Rice at the moment. Uh, it's being compared a little bit to the Harry Kane situation where Manchester City may be dissuaded as a result of the price tag that will be put on Rice's head by West Ham United. But I guess the question is, will West Ham United dig their heels in as much as Tottenham Hotspur did last summer in order to keep their player? Yeah, well, I don't think City, I don't think City are going to go for Rice. Right. Um, I think the, the idea that they're not sure now about whether you know the, there'd be a saga or the price tag, or like these are conversations that City would have had ages ago. Normally at this time of year, they're like, okay, well, these are the guys we want. You're going to come, right? And then they go and negotiate with the club. You know, they, they would have a much better idea of it. This, they would have known whether they were going to be able to sign Rice, or or whether they thought it would be worth a saga or not, or worth West Ham digging in or not. Like a couple of months ago, the, the problem they had with Kane was. Kane was giving them the assurances that he had this agreement with Daniel Levy and they'd be able to get it done. And then as the summer went on, they just realised that this agreement was worth nothing, basically. And the reason that they signed Grealish and not Kane is not because they, they had the money for one and not the other. It's because Grealish had a, a legally binding release clause in his contract and Kane didn't. And that was the difference. So if they were thinking, oh, 
we'd love Declan Rice, but it's going to be too difficult. They would have made their minds upon that months ago, I'm sure. So I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you who they're going to go for instead. Um, but whoever it is, I'm, I'm sure they're they're pretty far down the line with it. But at the same time, a lot of things have been on hold until they get Haaland sorted out. And that seems to be reaching the end game now. So I guess we might start finding out about midfielders and other things soon once, once they get Haaland sorted. And I think they're really pushing for that now. So Haaland is effectively not a done deal, but nearly nine-tenths there. Does that mean Gabriel Jesus automatically goes? Because he's been linked with Arsenal in the last few days. Mm. I wonder, is that just two and two equaling four, or is that two and two equaling 22? No, well, I mean, they're, they're kind of linked. But I suppose the main thing with Jesus is his contract runs out next summer. So City fans have always had this debate of, is he good enough? Is he worth keeping around? And then... A couple of years ago, you realise, OK, he's not going to be the next Aguero. Um, but if you're appreciating for what he is as a good squad player, then you won't really be let down. But the, the thing with that debate is it was always City fans talking from the point of view of, well, we're the ones in power in the sense that well, he is going to be here, so we'll decide whether, you know, hypothetically, he's good enough to be. But now he's got a year left on his contract, and now he's thinking, well, I'd like to play more. And why would I sign up for another four or five years of being in and out of the team? And he's now he's out of the Brazil squad as well with the World Cup coming up. So it's not necessarily related to Haaland, especially because he's been playing more on the wing anyway. And I think it'd be a loss to City in that sense because they might lose a bit of variety out wide. Um, but no, it, it's not any terms. You know, he is thinking, OK, I've got an opportunity to go and play here. And it seems that Arsenal their higher-ups have, have had a, a, a good relationship because, you know, Edu's Brazilian. They've got, they've got those links from previous contracts and stuff with Jesus' people. I think they've been talking for a while. And, yeah, from his point of view, he's just looking at it now, thinking, where do I want to be? Well, how regularly do I want to be playing football in the next few years? And it looks like that's going to be somewhere else. He's still only 25. Like, there's a possibility yeah. that he peaks in the next couple of years and uh, and becomes somebody who is much better than he is at the moment. I've, I've one last question for you, and it's kind of a, a, a question about uh, Grealish. And uh, so, as a Villa fan, I've seen Grealish play a lot and um, still think that he's going to be a very effective player for Manchester City in the coming seasons. Uh, wh- why is it that so many players take a good long time to bed into the Manchester City situation and... Is there, is there hope for Grealish's long-term future in the form of Cancelo and uh, Riyad Mahrez and a few others who, who took time to, to peak, even Bernardo Silva? Uh, that- yeah, everyone, yeah. Yeah, um, I suppose even like people like Sterling and, and De Bruyne, who were, who were already at City, they, they, you know, they didn't struggle in their first season by any means, but they're obviously better after getting to grips with it. I mean, I... I can't put my finger on why. You know, it's actually a perfect athletic article, isn't it? Explaining why um, why it takes so long. And it's probably something I'll look, I'll look into now, especially with the summer approaching. Uh, I, mean, I know with Cancelo, because he was, like, he'd actually, funnily enough, and ironically enough, he'd always played left-back for his previous teams in Italy, I think in Valencia as well, but didn't like it. I think he actually fell out with somebody at Lazio, maybe, but, um, about playing left-back because he didn't like it. He was always used to just playing down the right-hand side. I remember speaking to people when he signed who'd worked with him and they were like, oh, yeah, we've, we've seen his crossing ability. You know, he'll be putting in loads of great balls into the box. And even the ones who thought he would thrive, because some thought he might struggle because of his temperament, they thought it'd be more of a classic right-back. And obviously he's been this kind of inverted left quarterback, really. Um, he wanted to go after about nine months just because the tactical demands were just so different to what he was used to. 
Um, obviously, with Grealish, it's, I suppose it is different as well. You've got less space to run into. You're not in as many kind of one-on-one foot battles. Um, you're, you're touching the ball a lot less. You know, you're not the main man. You're not the one they all look to. So some games, City just go entirely down the right-hand side. So Grealish will be looking over and thinking, well, oh, I'm not getting the ball here. I know there's been a load of games where Mahrez has been stretching the play on the right, but it's all been down the left. So it's those things you need to adapt to, really. But like you say, you, you reeled off those players there. I also remember Leroy Sane had a slow start and then obviously burst into life. Um, Bernardo Silva had a bit of a patchy first season. Um, Cancelo, like you mentioned. I, I'm, Rodri, basically everybody. The vast majority of City signings have needed a year to bed in. Um, I think it, it's mainly because of just the different style of play, the different demands, all the things you need to to bear in mind, like when you're here, you need to be there. He needs to be there, and when he's there, you need to be there. All these kind of things, and it's just—it's a very different game to what he's playing at Villa. But also, I think that also works both ways. I think we probably need to appreciate that he's not going to be the same player because he's not being asked to do the same things. Um, certainly, you would like a couple more goals to show for it, you know. And the price tag's always going to demand that. But ultimately, it's not the price tag I think, especially when it's City, that demands what's going to what's going to be the level of performance. It's going to be the, the adjustment time and whether you cost 10 million or, or 100 million, it's probably going to take you a year or a season to, to understand what Guardiola wants and then from then on, um, you can really hit the ground running. And That's why I've not, I've not really got into the Guerrillas debate too much other than to say we can have this debate in a year's time. If it's still not working in a year's time, then we can talk about it. But for now, we've seen it all before in terms of players needing time to settle in. So I wouldn't be unduly, unduly worried about that. It doesn't matter. That's the luxury of the, the quality of the squad they have at the moment. That's, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And you can, think, like, you can think that's a terrible thing because they don't need a £100 million signing to come in and make the difference. Like Chelsea needed Lukaku to come in and make the difference to win the Premier League. Or that's at least how it was painted and it hasn't happened. So they haven't won the league. Whereas City can make a £100 million signing. And whether, it's, whether you think it's a terrible thing for football or whether you just say, well, that's how good their squad is, fair play to them. It's, that's the fact they don't need somebody to come in and make that that massive difference um, which is unusual it's not something we've had to get our heads around really are, there we are are they going to go through I think so I think I think they're the better team um, I, I, Madrid haven't played particularly well they didn't play particularly well against PSG they didn't play particularly well against Chelsea obviously in that second game the only thing you worry about is they just they're, they're a team that they won't die you know city could be City miss chances as well and if they miss their chances and Madrid don't die then you've got a recipe for disaster there but I think if you're asking me who's the better team and who'll have most of it I'd have to go I would have to go with City yeah alright Sam good stuff enjoy the games thanks a million thanks very much guys always a pleasure it's Sam Lee of The Athletic there giving us his thoughts on the games tonight what do you think is going to happen it's going to go through I think Manchester City will go through I think it'll be Manchester City versus Liverpool final and I think Liverpool will beat them in the final um, so Villarreal versus Real Madrid it will be I guess like no. the, this is obviously t- t- tonight's a tie. What would what would the what would the best final be? I mean, City Liverpool will be the best final. Like they've put together two cracking games already this season in the Premier League, two really really brilliant games. So another opportunity and the cup to see that. Yeah, the cup was probably like obviously the least of a contest, but uh, the, the last few minutes were exciting and also the quality throughout was absolutely outstanding, with the exception of Stefan and goals for Manchester City. Um, I'm just looking there that uh, Michael Carrick was out having pints with Robbie Keane and Cassidy's on Camden Street at the weekend. All right, okay. They were singing. The story's gone from the um, the website that was reporting it. I don't know if that. And then Keane went over to the Sky Studios, of course, last night. Yeah. 
put himself in the shop window to become a new manager of some club. He's ready. He's done his badges. So um, where would where would Robbie King get a, a a job? I don't. Well, I think that maybe where could he get a job versus where he wants to get a job or where he believes he should get a job maybe aren't the same thing because he says that he's rejected offers that didn't really sit well with him. Like I, it, it'd be pine the sky stuff to suggest that Robbie Keane would ever start his uh, managerial career in Ireland, for example. Um, or I know Damien Duff isn't starting his career here, but do a Damien Duff on it, I'd be shocked if that happened. Uh, and on top of that, I'd be shocked if if he would start anywhere below the top half of the championship as well I'd say I'd say championship I'd say he'd be excited by a job up there but I think he's smart enough to know that the championship is such a chaotic division that if he took a lower half team he could easily be uh, overseeing a relegation It's tricky isn't it? Yeah so I, I don't know um, it, like it's, it's obviously been pretty interesting couple of years for him in terms of not getting a gig an actual gig with the FAI despite being under contract and you'd wonder how much that actually affects other people's decision making when they look into it chances are it's not really that big a story in, in England at care. all no. when, when they're looking into it No, OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish your day it is time for the, the uh, sports pages there are so many idiots out there so many spoofers there's a lot of horse I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullsh**. Ah, no, Emma, come on, don't be, don't be, no, I'm not having yes. that, no. <laughs> don't be, don't be, oh, don't get me in trouble again. Yeah, we're going to start with otvsports.com. Uh, or I can start, uh, I may as well start with the uh, Telegraph then this morning. And the Telegraph is major shock as Mickelson joins Rebels. So, Phil Mickelson showing you who he is. Phil Mickelson last night stunned golf by not only entering next month's US PGA Championship but also the first Saudi Rebel event in St Albans in June. There you go. Uh, episode 14 of the Football Pod is up. Donegal and Galway rise. Armagh freeze. Mayo hell. Um, so uh, we'll talk to Tommy later on in the week about that. Uh, the back page of the London Times. Government will force elite to share cash. This is... Uh, a bit of window dressing perhaps or maybe it's real money being um, taken from the Premier League to the football pyramid the bottom tiers of it uh, that's that um, the Herald they've got the big news Khan ready for Dublin return boost for Farrell as a Callahan prime for action against Wexford what do you want to be seeing this weekend is Dublin putting up a score against Wexford I think that, that uh, well, I, that's what I mean when you, what you want to be seeing if you're a Dublin fan or if you're Desi Farrell like I, I think that maybe over the last couple of seasons the Leinster Championship obviously hasn't really mattered and it still doesn't matter as a trophy for them but it does matter now in terms of finding that form because they have no form to speak about Conor Callan has no form to speak about so you you might just worry a little bit for some of the teams in Leinster this year if they, if they actually do get back to that uh, City sizing up summer move for Hammers Lynchpin Rice this is the conversation we've just been having. So uh, I got the impression from Sam Lee he doesn't expect it to happen this year. No, not at all, actually. So, yeah. They'll that, move on to other targets. And it sounds like they already have done after they secure Haaland what they'll do. I do think that, that price is it's extraordinary for Declan Rice, isn't it? I don't know. He's 23. He'll play for you for 10 years. Like, it's kind of, it's the equivalent of the Henderson price, right? Like when Kenny Dalglish signed... Uh, Jordan Henderson everyone went this is ridiculous money what are they doing who is this guy that they've spent all this money on and now you're like what a great deal that's like one of Kenny Douglas's legacy points is signed Jordan Henderson yeah you know how much was Jordan Henderson he was like 13 or 18 million at the time yeah like even along for inflation this is not that 
no, but Rice is like so much further ahead of where Henderson was at that stage. If you stick Declan Rice into that team, right, he can play uh, seven years in midfield and then another seven years as a centre-back. Like, there is that versatility and the, the age thing is, is massive. And, like, I mean, it's not like he needs to do much to be, like, the, he would be the third most expensive signing of all time, by the way, if he went for 150 million euro. Uh, he'd be just a tad more expensive than Philippe Coutinho to uh, Barcelona. We sometimes forget that that's the third most expensive signing in history. That's It wasn't just a healthy wad of cash that Liverpool had at their disposal. It was extraordinary. It was just below Mbappe and Neymar. And uh, you'd probably have to say, like, Neymar, 222 million quid. Uh, Declan Rice at 150 million quid if he puts together a 10-year career where he wins loads of trophies. It, prob- it probably is worth it. But I, I, I think that that it probably just waits. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to City. They can fake another uh, sponsorship deal. It mattered last year. Uh, with Harry Kane it didn't though I don't think it was money I think that he wouldn't sell I think they would have paid 150 I think that they would have met whatever the, if there was a buyout clause they would have met it yeah I don't think it was money in the end I think it was the fact that Daniel Levy was like you can't have him right it was a fit did, of peak definitely felt that there was there was definitely headlines at the time that it was uh, like a, a hundred, 100 to 120 was maybe Manchester City's limit maybe even a little bit lower and then Spurs like no 150 yeah maybe the uh, okay uh, but then uh, was that a 150 and then I'll see then I'll make yeah, my mind yeah. up and then, you know? then let's bring it up to 175 yeah and all, but also Manchester City I think uh, there was it was also reported at the time about and, the age profile of and Harry me, Kane and the wife and <laughs> uh, Irish women's 15th so that was a Martin Brennan job yeah. Irish <laughs> women's 15th set to seal contracts for next season this is a big story from Sinead on the back of the uh, the end of this morning the RFU will look at having contracts in place for Ireland women's 15th players by next year's Six Nations but plans will not be finalised until the new head of women's performance and pathways is appointed which I suspect is um, fair enough let somebody who is in charge make the decision about who's going to get the contracts but they've committed to the contracts it seems certainly that's what Sinead's story is telling us this morning uh, a Roy of Sunshine on Leith keen in frame for Hibs hot seat Keane wants it that's what the Sun are saying this morning so I don't know maybe you're right maybe the right thing for him to do is have a couple of years as a football manager and then go back to being a pundit again I'm, I'm not sure what the right or the wrong thing is I just know that whatever the outcome is it's not going to be boring refresh his football knowledge get some European football for Hibs be a success the voice of Zoom Ten Hag will grill players one to one to decide their fate this is an exclusive in the mirror which is also in one of the other papers this morning uh, Eric Ten Hag will begin his overhaul of Man United by holding one-on-one meetings on Zoom with every player to help him decide who stays and who goes. I mean, they should film this, yeah. right? If you're if you're a Manchester United head of content, you're like, Eric, we're just gonna just gonna make sure that you know, for legal reasons, you need to record this to make sure that the players you can you can tell which of the players is leaking it, and so we'll have it for future when when you get sacked, we'll be like, oh, here's here's we knew from the start it was Doom because this is how the conversation went on Zoom. Yeah. When Eric Ten Hag is interviewing Jesse Lingard on Zoom, he'd be like, is that Paul Scholes' voice in the back of the room? <laughs> uh, I, you presume he's not going to do, uh, it's Legion of Zoom is the headline. The voice of Zoom or Legion of Zoom. Uh, that's the uh, the story that they have in the back of the star. Punchestown, obviously, the 12-page um, pullout in all the papers, uh, certainly in the star as well. The racing in Punchestown this week is going to be spectacular. Are you heading along? I am, going Friday. Yeah. Well, I wish you well. I hope you come back alive. <laughs> you have a track record of like coming back damaged from some some stuff. That's highly highly libelous. Is it? <laughs> Did you break an ankle? No, you didn't. Why? Just a face. When was this? Oh, the year. That's the years ago. That's a long. I'm, I'm, 
I was I was young then. You're much more mature now. Uh, we must suffer, Pep. It will be painful to stop Madrid and reach your final. There is a language of like self-flagellation around Pep, which would be like, why, what are you doing? Um, the Echo this morning, uh, Chrissy O'Connor, Cork have won the ground war but face bigger battles against the Kerry machine. He's, he's got great detail on um, the new bridge of nowhere and how uh, the whole thing unfolded from Keen O'Neill's perspective. So he's obviously talked to him and, and got the chapter and verse on it. Uh, Kerry did the right thing took them a long time to get there but they were like yeah we just play wherever we don't care we're going to play you we're, we'll play it we don't care it doesn't matter let's just take all the air out of the balloon but like it wasn't their decision first of all like, but I, it I is it is it is their decision if they say we will play you there like it's like Mayo screwed up by not saying yes we'll go to Newbridge immediately that's a great idea we'll go there they were like nothing to do with us but, nothing but, to do with us not our decision but even then it's like Kerry said on Friday yes we'd play you there and it gets confirmed yesterday like yeah, three, day, three days pass and Munster Council are like ah, we can Munster Council had no option Kerry bounced them into it at that stage oh, Kerry no, just bounced them into it straight away and gone Cork want it there oh Jesus that's great we'll, we'll go and we'll play you there we'll have a night out in Cork afterwards I, I don't think that Kerry were ever thinking anything other than that and maybe they just weren't overly interested with the whole debacle at that point I mean I think that this actually benefits Kerry to a, to a point I think they need Cork to be better than they were last year and having them at home is one way of going towards that of course if they end up losing the game they'll look pretty stupid oh. Kerry there's no chance they're going to lose this game but I think that there's a they will get a better battle in Parky Wind that's better for them right yeah, yeah. That's, that's just what I said yeah like 100% this is a, a chance there's a chance that this is actually a, a win for Kerry yeah like well, I mean, yeah. I mean not a win on the day it's I a win win a win a win win yeah sorry <laughs> a bigger win uh, where were Cork in your power rankings like 15th alright you couldn't even remember you don't even respect them enough 16th. to remember loud, loud overlapped them it's uh, it's 8.43 <laughs> uh, here and Ronan Mullins just walked in Ronan good morning to you how are you oh good lads how are things uh, a quick um, a, a quick drive by on where we are with boxing at the moment uh, should we talk should we start by talking about next weekend as opposed to last weekend you pick oh, it's, it's your call I think the, the pomp and circumstance around the Wembley fight sort of weren't exactly overridden by the fight itself. I think most people, purists and uh, casual fans, would agree it wasn't exactly a blockbuster encounter and it possibly just highlighted the gulf in quality between Fury and the rest because Dylan White's a very competent heavyweight and has shown that against the cream of the division, but Fury just looked levels and levels above him and, you know, it was an emphatic finish to end it, really. Uh, What happens next for Fury? Because his wife was saying that he would come back for the unification fight. That was kind of letting the cat out of the bag pretty quickly. Yeah, that was it. It was retirement, which he's kind of, um, he proffered that suggestion a couple of times before fights. But to be fair, this is the final fight on his top rank deal. So there is leverage and negotiations to happen here. And that is like a percentage of leverage, I suppose, that, you know, I'm threatening to walk away here, threatening in inverted commas, obviously, because as he said, Paris Fury saying he'll come back for unification. It looks like Usyk's going to fight Joshua in that rematch in July. So, you know, we should have clarity on that by the end of the summer. And you could be looking at another blockbuster fight there towards the end of the year. And just like on the the technicalities of a potential matchup with either of those, the Joshua one, I think you'd probably see a similar pattern of a fight if, if if he fought Fury, because I just think Fury's operating on such a level that he'll, he'll win most fights. But Usyk could be an interesting one because as, as good as Fury was the other day, the stature of White, where he's that little bit shorter, there were openings for, for White if he was able to slip Fury's jab and get in and attack the body. And you'd actually fancy Usyk to be able to do that. He's such a skilled technician that that could be a very interesting matchup. So come what may, I think we'd have another 
few interesting heavyweight fights this year. He's very lightly fought for somebody who has been a professional for 14 years. It, it's um, 33 bouts as a professional. So, it like, the whole miles on the clock thing isn't really something that applies to Tyson Fury, is it? No, and, like, the, the old adage around heavyweight boxing is that you tend to age like a fine wine in that regard, and the Klitschko's, Vladimir in particular, probably fought the best best run of, of bouts of his career around his mid-30s so I think Fury he is that little bit more fleet of foot and possibly does rely on athleticism which belies that size and that should win you would think as the, as the years go by but like what's so, what's so remarkable is that when he beat Klitschko in Germany was it six years ago now that was a total you know fighting on the back foot you know pot shotting whereas the other day he just walked Dillian White down and and demolished him and Sugar Hill and Andy Lee have to get a lot of credit for that huge sea change in style which you just never see in boxing really where someone goes from being essentially a counterpuncher to a knockout artist and like I know Dillian White was making much play of the fact that there was a shove after the the uppercut which landed but that was about as perfectly picked a punch as you're going to see and there aren't many people who would knock Dillian White out with one shot I know Povetkin had that highlight reel knockout Joshua similarly but again you're talking about former world champions here at the very best so I think um, I think Fury is looking like a, a difficult proposition for anybody right now. And just looking back at uh, Tyson Fury's box rack here, and he fought in Dublin in uh, 2000, September 2009 on one of Bernard Dunn's... Uh, um, the Super it, Saturday, wasn't it? His Super Band- No, this is no? September. So oh. um, uh, The game was live. Yeah, did you, he wins on points. Um, at Fury, that stage. That's, that's, that's how long he's boxing, right? That fight um, was live on the radio, wasn't it? This one, I don't think that the this was um, Prakorb Udomna. I do recall uh, Phil Egan will recount this tale of maybe that's Poonswatch. Willie Willie Big Bang Casey when he fought Regan Doe. I think Fury was in attendance. He and, was and he, had been at the Ireland England game at the Aviva Stadium, and was basically saying, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back here and headline with a world title fight at the Aviva Stadium." And I think most people were looking at him on on two fronts, thinking, "Well, you're probably not going to win a world title because he was still a figure of fun at that stage." Well, he punched himself. That was what he was yeah, most famous for. And equally, um, his Irish heritage, to what extent he was going to lean on that, I don't know. But like, he has um, he has spoken about it at length. You know, like the fighting for Irish titles and you know wanting to represent Ireland as an amateur. But then you see him on St George's Day decked in the uh, in the English flag. I think he's kind of nailed his colours quite literally to the mast there. He was. He wasn't even like the main undercard that night. He was like the third fight on the card, and there was eight fights. That's the night Poonsawat actually knocked Bernard out uh, pretty early on and kind of uh, set that whole thing back. But sorry, um, so you want Usyk to win against Joshua to see what he'll do against? I think Fury? It's, po- it's possibly a more interesting fight. Usyk's like peerless in terms of skill as a cruiserweight. Like the. What Fury's got in that department is comparable, possibly not quite as good, like Usyk's obviously an Olympic gold medalist, but he's got the size as well and the power that I'm alluding to. So you just think those equalisers would, would make him a favourite. But I just think from a technical standpoint, it's more interesting. From a like promotional standpoint, the Joshua Fury fight is a behemoth. And if you couple that with the redemption arc of Joshua beating Usyk, who, you know, obviously totally outclassed him at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium last year. Joshua's had one of those already against Ruiz. Like the Ruiz one was more of a, a like a blast from the like left field almost, whereas 
the Usyk one I think people possibly saw coming. So I don't think it's quite as easy a one for him to rectify. I think Usyk will be the favourite going in against Joshua again. Um, so you expect Joshua to have, uh, sorry, you expect Tyson Fury to have like a long period now in his mid-30s where he continues to fight that actually this retirement thing is like a contractual issue more than anything else. I think there is a, definitely a bit of leverage at play there. It's just whether he's got the the cast of characters waiting, you know, lining up to fight him. I wouldn't say the the next crop of heavyweights is overly strong. So I, I don't think. Sorry, could he fight both Joshua and Usyk? I think so. I think if if he signs another five fight deal with Top Rank, like those are two definitely on the ledger. It would be crazy not to fight Joshua just for the revenue that that would entail. I think that fight will eventually happen, just like as his boxing want, it will have lost a lot of the luster if Joshua has, say, three losses on his resume by the time that comes around. Yeah, yeah. At the same time, boxing's great at uh, hyping that stuff up and, <laughs> like, who knows, maybe... maybe. One. And, like, this is, uh, not to say this is heavyweight boxing, Jerry, but this is heavyweight boxing and one, one Joshua's right got hand. huge power, like, yeah. so he could be losing every round and still... We would definitely be watching to the end to yeah. see if he can land one of those. Um, okay, so... That's that. The uh, subplot around all that was obviously the uh, Fury relationship with Kinahan. Boxing seems to have moved on very quickly from the whole thing. It was like big story in the build-up. Um, MTK is now no longer in existence and boxing's like, great, we can forget all about that and move on. Yeah, and like I was listening to a podcast last week, Chris Mannix, who I think has been on the show before, and Mike Coppinger is kind of a well-known figure on boxing circles and certainly on social media. They were chatting off the back of it ahead of the the uh, White Fury fight and talking about Al Heyman, I'm sure you're familiar with Al Heyman who's kind of seen as the, the puppet master behind all that goes on in American boxing and they were saying Al Heyman, Daniel Kinnan, the two most powerful men in boxing, in fact Daniel Kinnan's probably number one. And I had never heard anyone in America talking in these terms about Daniel Kinnan before all this came out. It's very easy to be wise after the fact but people weren't making these proclamations when he was as they're saying, running the game. And, you know, the point has been made that very few boxing cards go on without, or had gone on without an MTK affiliation. And that was more far-reaching because his advisory roles and the, his underlings, what their advisory roles were with boxers, like, so far-reaching. And you've got the pro bellum side of things. I can't, like, I was taken aback by how quickly the whole thing escalated in, fa- in, in how MTK unraveled quite literally. And... What's going to happen next, I think, will also happen quite quickly from a boxing standpoint. The pressures from outside the sporting world are quite clearly closing in. So uh, as, as, as long as his spell atop boxing lasted, which is nigh on a decade, I think it will it's come to a halt quite quickly. Do, do his underlings have such power where that would uh, dissuade you from being confident about, I don't know, a, a top Irish bout happening here? like Katie Taylor for example having a homecoming fight in, in the next couple of years yeah because if we're moving on to Katie Taylor like if she can beat Amanda Serrano at the weekend there's literally there's almost nothing left on the the bucket list barring and it would seem like such a it would be almost a tragedy if she didn't fight here given the what she represents and how emblematic she is of all that's good about Irish sports you know and it, it, it kind of transcends all that and for it to be thwarted by security concerns or what like all that goes around that I think that seems to be the only grievance that could hold the whole thing back because not that there's ever been a huge culture of professional boxing in Ireland like the Bernard Dunn days were almost they were almost highlights by their rarity do you know like Steve Collins in the 90s and there were little bits here and there but it wasn't as if we ever built a culture of having massive blockbuster events 
year on year, whereas Katie Taylor is the kind of fighter that would have justified it. And similarly, there's probably fighters that have come and gone that didn't get the massive nights in Ireland that they should have got. So should Katie win on Saturday, possibly irrespective of that, she, she's more than entitled to have a, a big homecoming here. OK, so what is on the line for Katie then? Well, I think 2008 is the last time the number one and number two pen-for-pen fighters have boxed each other. Uh, so that was, I believe, Pacquiao and Marquez, in, in obviously on the men's side of things. But this is the quality and calibre of a fight we're talking about. It's obviously headlining the main arena, Madison Square Garden, the first time that's ever happened for an all-women bout. And, you know, as Eddie Hearn is wont to say, like, it's, this isn't just women's boxing, this is a marquee event for boxing at large. And you very rarely get to see the two best in the world go head to head, you know, close to the peak of their powers. This fight obviously was supposed to happen two years ago, just before the, the pandemic kicked in. And that was going to be, I would, I would say, somewhat off Broadway. It was going to be an undercard bout on a Dillian White fight, ironically, in Manchester. And Amanda Serrano, while Katie Taylor was certainly keeping up her end of the bargain, was already a blockbuster star. Amanda Serrano possibly wasn't that household name. In the two years which have passed, she's blown up in terms of profile. She's got that link up with Jake Paul. And I think this, they're both making seven figures this weekend. And it's kind of it, it typifies the, the size of this fight. And I think it's definitely a crossover one. It's not just one that's been spoken about in boxing circles. I think American culture has tapped into it a little bit. And you're looking at a sellout on Saturday night, which is going to be a remarkable occasion. One last thing. Um this one of the things that Katie Taylor has been is very uh, enjoyable to watch um, if this is the most boring fight of all time and she wins on points that's better for her from a career perspective after from, from this point she doesn't need to be the brawler this weekend I, I suppose is the point I'm trying to make here no certainly not and like Serrano is an interesting mesh of styles where she's got power that's possibly not all that common in in the ledger of Katie Taylor opponents, but she's not a brawler either. She's like quite technical in how she detonates her punches, so she will carry that threat that possibly Katie hasn't seen in all of her bouts to this end. Like the Pursuing fight, if, as a comparison, Pursuing was all about that engine and, and non-stop aggression. I think Serrano has a bit of that, but she also has the technical skills to, to trouble Katie. So it will be a, a boxing clinic from Katie to try and you know, navigate our way to victory here. And as you said, it's all about the W. This is finals are for winning. And this is like the, the grand final of, of her career. I think for the first time since 2012, really, against Achigava, you're going into a Katie Taylor fight not like certain or at least confident of an outcome. And, you know, I think all those factors play into a really appetising event. All right, Ronan, enjoy it. Thanks very much. When are you flying out? Tomorrow. All uh, going well. Very good. And is there one final press conference at the way and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, the press conference is Thursday. The weigh-in will be Friday. I think my best laid plans of going to Nets Celtics on uh, Friday are all but gone after the, the Nets were swept by Boston Celtics, so I'll have to make new plans for Friday night. Well, uh, in New York, I'm sure you'll find something to uh, keep you occupied. Ronan, good stuff. Enjoy the trip. Thanks very much for that. Uh, it seems only certain forwards need a year to settle in, says Embod We Trust on YouTube. For example, Aguero didn't. De Bruyne didn't. Going further back, Henri and David Villa didn't. For 100 million, shouldn't Grealish be in this category? Um, I mean, I think De Bruyne wasn't the automatic uh, Ballon d'Or contender that he is now in his first season, was he? Yeah, I'm not sure, but could you also make a case that maybe the people that he's pointed out there, like Aguero, Henri, Villa, are just a different player to Grealish, that you know, there's uh, more of a specific role to They're their place in the team? They're all number nines. Um, 
I do, that would feel like doing it discredit to how outstanding Aguero was from the very start but I think there is a more complicated version to what Grealish's role is first of all he's not guaranteed his place every week Thierry Henry is in the conversation for the greatest ever Premier League player yeah like probably is the greatest ever Premier League player like that's how good he is so you'd yeah. expect him to settle in pretty quickly at Barcelona yeah yeah and yeah, the Grealish obviously isn't going to go down as the greatest Premier League player ever I, I don't know I think maybe also as well some of these examples are far more recent than all those players as well like it's this is a recent trend for, for Pep so so I would definitely have hope that, that Grealish does come very good next season I think Mares took time to settle in um, somebody's been in touch and I need to apologise to the good people of Galway I slandered them I said that Tala was bigger than Galway and I'm just trying to find the tweet that has corrected me on this um, it turns out I'm wrong right you're close. You're close, though. Well, the population of Galway is seventy-nine thousand nine hundred and thirty-four. Yeah. The population of Tala is seventy-six thousand one hundred and nineteen. There's three thousand. The difference, like, however, I mean, like we just did a census. Those yeah. figures aren't out yet. They're not. They're not. I'm. I'm backing the good people of Tala to be more prolifically productive. To be riding more often than the people of Galway. No, in fairness, no one's doing that more than the, the Galway people. No, it's known for its riding. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to get in trouble. A lot of trouble there. It's uh, eight fifty-eight this morning. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Hashtag OTBAM. Uh, but anyway, the point stands. That Tala is is big. Yeah. Colin yeah. Milani is up next with the uh, latest sports news. First, here's Pat Nevin on Tuchel and Chelsea. He's got a really tough summer, and I think that's quite frustrating because I suspect he knows exactly what he would like to go for, where he needs to strengthen. He certainly needs to get two to three centre-backs in. I mean, he absolutely needs to do that. But it's a, it's a bit like, uh, you know, going to a disco. If you don't ask the first good-looking one first, as they used to say in the old days, um, you're going to get caught. But anyway, notice I didn't say women. I just said good-looking one. Could be man, women, anything, right? I'm very right on here. Um, but he could be left with, you know, not the players he wants to buy purely because of the situation he's in and somewhere down the line from that people will just say yeah. they will forget that Is, is he a flight risk do you think? Tuchel's stock is pretty high is he a flight risk? I would think he is um, If there was well, you, you think of what jobs might be available I think he will look to see who is likely to get in and have a look at the finances then, and he will consider it then. I actually think he loves the place. He's, he's had a really nice time there. He's mm. been quite, yeah, he's been successful. He's got an FA Cup final coming up. Um, but if they're not allowed to really go and add, and he's maybe asked to go and develop some more young players coming through and use, you know, get the likes of Conor Garnica back, I don't know if that'll be enough for him. I think that may frustrate him hugely. But um, if I had to bet on it, I still think he'll be there next year. Yeah, it could be very interesting to see what happens. That whole ownership uh, situation will be resolved sooner rather than later. So you would assume that they will want to keep the uh, brilliant world-class manager they have. But then owners of football clubs do stupid things very regularly. Um, Nine o'clock this morning here. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. The hashtag is OTBAM on Twitter. Or, of course, you can tweet us at Off the Ball AM or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. Colin Milani is with us. Carl, good morning to you. Hi, lads. How's it going? Where do we start? Uh, let's start with Gaelic Games and the news that Conor McKenna is set to be available for Tyrone's Ulster Football Championship quarter final against Derry this weekend. It's understood the forward has had the red card he received against no. the manner rescinded. Yeah, this no news way. emerged How last night. How do you do night. that? That's amazing. 
Yeah, so McKenna was dismissed late on in the All-Ireland Champion seven-point win at Brewster Park in the preliminary round of the Ulster Championship, but he looks set to be available uh, for this Sunday's match against Derry Big Boost uh, for Tyrone. Uh, meanwhile, the Munster Council has confirmed Porky Rin as the venue for Cork's Munster Football semi-final with Kerry. That comes after Kerry agreed to play at the venue with Porky Cueve unavailable due to its staging of Ed Sheeran concerts. The next game between the two counties in the province will take place at Killarney's Fitzgerald Stadium. That game will throw in at uh, six o'clock on Saturday week. A second half goal from Thomas O'Donnell, meanwhile, was the decisive score as Kerry clinched the Munster under-20 football title last night. The Kingdom overcame the challenge of Cork by 1-11 to 7 points in Tralee and they'll play the Ulster champions Tyrone in the All-Ireland semi-final. And action tonight in the Munster minor hurling championship, Clare Peck. Clare play Kerry. That game is in Six Mile Bridge while Kilmanagh hosts the clash of Limerick and Waterford. In football, Leeds moved five points clear of the Premier League's relegation zone last night. They played out a goal of straw with Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. That result extends Leeds' unbeaten run to five matches while Palace remain 14th in the table. Tonight, Manchester City resumed their quest for a first ever Champions League title. They welcome Real Madrid to the Etihad for the first leg of their semi final tie and kickoff there is at 8 o'clock. Action here at home as well in the Women's National League. This evening, Shelburne uh, looking to bounce back from their first defeat of the season at the weekend. They're away to third place, Wexford Hughes, and the team that beat Shelburne at the weekend, Dealor Waves, take on Athlone this evening. And there's a Munster derby in Limerick with Treaty United hosting Cork City. Action in the World Snooker Championship quarterfinals gets underway shortly after 10 o'clock this morning. Six-time champion Ronnie O'Sullivan takes on Stephen Maguire. Mark Williams goes up against Yang Bing Tao. Both matches short, uh, underway shortly after uh, 10 a.m. Uh, this morning. Last night, of course, of course, uh, Jack Lazowski getting, getting over the challenge of Neil Robertson, despite Robertson making a 147 uh, in that match by 13 frames uh, to 12. In golf, Phil Mickelson has requested permission to play in the first Saudi Golf League tournament in June. The six-time major champion has been out of the game since controversial comments regarding the new tour earlier on this year. However, his agent says he's asked to play at the LIV Golf Invitational at the Centurion Club in England later this year. And Mickelson has also registered to enter the next two major championships. That's the PGA Championship and the US Open. Uh, in racing, the Punchestown Festival gets underway this afternoon. The Grade 1 Champion Chase is the feature of the card today. The Queen Mother Champion Chase winner, Energamine, is set to go off as the odds-on favourite. That one goes off at 5.25, an eight-race card underway at 20 to 4. And also this morning, the fixtures for Ireland's Tour of New Zealand uh, this summer have been confirmed. Ireland play New Zealand in the first test on Saturday, the 2nd of July, will kick off at 5 past 8. That game at Eden Park in Auckland. Then the second test the following Saturday, the 9th of July, same kickoff time at 5 past 8 Irish time. That's uh, in Dunedin. And then the final game in Wellington the following Saturday, 16th of July, again at 5 past 8 kickoff time. And that's at the Sky Stadium in Wellington. 5 past 8 is just about acceptable. It's any earlier than oh, that. Yeah. If on a Saturday, you're like, oh, come on. 5 past 8 is perfect, right? Yeah. You need to stay up. Yeah, so on. <laughs> <laughs> Just coming out of Bergheim, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, the, the Australia uh, tour in 1718, 19? I don't know, whatever year that was. That was that was properly acceptable. That was like they really, the Aussies did us a solid that year. It just went like midday kind of thing. It was it was almost, yeah, it was like the games were finishing up at around 12 o'clock. But in my head, the Lions tour matches were much earlier than that, weren't they? Um, they shouldn't have been really though no I think and I'm super rugby matches tend to be at that time issue yeah. in the morning don't they yeah uh, so as a as a as the best golfer in, in the organisation Carl um, what uh, it definitely isn't available you're definitely by, by a mile <laughs> play despite all the, the shite and on that the rest of the lads would do <laughs> well did you hear Joe Malloy made level par for a round 
a couple of weeks ago. Uh, well, what is that? I, I, when you I'm hear that, I'm level par at the moment. What's that? I'm nowhere near level par at the moment. I can tell you that much. So I'm just going to ask, like, when you hear that, are you like, well, that's cute, Joe? <laughs> no, I'm not. I've never gone better than level par, so I can't say anything. But you have gone par. Gone close to level par. Gone close to level par, right, okay. Yeah. Uh, That'll be interesting. Yeah. There's, there's a video idea there. Oh, Colin there's a celeb- celebrity death match. Yeah. Do like that Tiger Woods versus Phil Mickelson match with the millions and millions on the line. What's, yeah. your, what's your handicap? It's uh, four at the moment. Uh, he, he's better than Joe. By a mile. It's, uh, <laughs> well, that's, uh, I haven't played a whole lot lately, so I can't Is really that say. like a four from somewhere good like Ennis Crone as well? Uh, well, I, yeah, that's my home club, yeah. Right, so, okay, so like, like into a the four Atlantic in a championship course. course. Exactly, that's like... That'll be plus seven it's, around. It's, it's all on the, the day, as I say. It's all on the day. Most of the inland courses. So your uh, credentials established. Uh, what do you make of what's going on with the golf tours at the moment? Uh, um, it's, it's, where does it end up? I think they're going to come down quite heavily on the players that go and play in the Saudi golf tour tournaments. Uh, there's reports this morning that Sergio Garcia is also going to be involved. Uh, obviously, Phil Mickelson is going to try and play as well. And I suspect a few more names will emerge. Um See, the, pro- the problem for those players is they have to, I suppose, weigh up whether they want to take all this cash and be greedy, to be perfectly honest about it. Um, and if they do, I think the European Tour in particular, or the DP World Tour as it's called now, will come down quite heavily on the European players that will do it. And they also have to consider the longer term ramifications in terms of their participation and potential captaincy of Ryder Cup teams. Um, clearly, it doesn't matter too much to them if they are being threatened with not being involved in the future and willing to take money but to my mind it's just pure and utter greed uh, because these players are already exceptionally well off money to the extent that they're playing for already is huge and now they're looking to go and play for more money Um, and I suppose all sports rest on the legacy and the history and tradition of years gone by and your greatness as a golfer isn't defined by the money that you win. To my mind, it's based on the championships that you win. And we always talk about the debate of who's the greatest golfer in the world or the greatest golfer that has walked. And generally it comes back to Jack Nicklaus has won more majors than Tiger Woods, not the amount of money that they won. Um, So to my mind, players that want to establish themselves as true greats of the game will retain their involvement with the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, and look to win major championships rather than trying to make money from questionable sources. Um, the impact that it might have on, the, on the, the rest of the tours, it seems like the Asian Tour are kind of happy to get in bed with them. They're like, well, you know, yeah. this, is, this is our chance to rival the US Tour. Um, the US Tour and the European Tour, the European Tour is essentially going to feed into and become a feeder of uh, a co-sanctioned like we'll be, it'll be really important for the Irish Open to get that co-sanctioning yeah, from the PGA Tour because it would might catapult them into a, being on on the schedule into the future. Yeah. Well, again, it comes back it, the, the fact if tournaments are co-sanctioned, obviously the purse is going to be that bit bigger, and that's going to attract players over. Also, your time in the calendar, the Irish Open, a couple of weeks before the, the Open Championship at the moment is important too. The Scottish Open is a co-sanctioned event at the moment as far as I know um, our best hope is that there's a European swing to the US tour yes that would work too now the thing is players matching up their schedules heading into a major championship is a big thing and whether they want to play two weeks before or a week before uh, the Scottish Open currently has that uh, nice little slot in the calendar yeah 
Um, Some will, though. Also, I think uh, the K-Club obviously is a fantastic venue and it is capable of hosting big tournaments as it has already and it will again uh, with the Irish Open, obviously, and the Challenge Tour. I'd love to see the the Irish Open on the years that it's not in the K-Club rotate back to a Lynx course, which I think will help attract bigger players as well, being so close to the Open Championship if they want to get Lynx preparation. And also, I think Ireland's unique selling point in terms of a golf destination uh, is largely down to the Lynx courses when you see the tourists coming over here. They want to play the Port Marnox and they want to play the Royal County Downs and the Port Rushes of this world, um, the Cairns and Belmullet down to Kerry and Ballybunion, Lahinch and Clare. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that is, for players as well, their unique experiences on, on, tour, on, on courses that they regularly wouldn't play. Um, but we're blessed, aren't we, with the variety we have. Mount Juliet this year, the K Club, Dare Manor obviously as well. Um, but I do hope that they, they put in that bit of a mix so there's a bit of a variety All right. over the coming years. Carl, good stuff. Thanks a million for that. That's, That's uh, Carl Milani. You can hear more from Carl across the day on uh, our sports bulletins across the Go Loud network of stations. Nine minutes past nine this morning here on OTBAM. Brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're going to talk hurling with Aidan Fogarty next. OTB. AM on OTB Sports Radio, Ireland's first and only sports radio station. The football pod on OTB Sports. Mayo will be top of the ground in that game. And if they have those players back, I, I think they'll have too much. I didn't hear a word you said in the last 45 seconds. Well, breaking news here on the football pod. Rian O'Neill has won his appeal and will be available for the Ulster Championship game against Donegal. Don't cut out my bit of mail there now. I won't. I won't. The hearing, I really... the hearing lasted a few a few minutes. Yeah. Get the hop on everyone else and hear the football pod first on the OTB Sports app every Tuesday. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Uh, Noel asks, if Galway win the All-Ireland this year, where will they end up on the OTB Mayo FM's power rankings? Third? Fourth? Well, Owen. Fifth. <laughs> OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're turning our attention to hurling. Aidan Fogarty's with us. Aidan, good morning to you. Morning, lads. How are you doing? Nice, quiet um, Kilkenny-Galway clash coming next weekend, which is kind of a, a little bit under the radar. We figured time for us to turn a bit of a spotlight onto it. Uh, how are you feeling about this? Yeah, um, it's a strange one, Ger. Um It's hard to know how I feel, really. It's as, <coughs> once the fixture was made last year, the first thing, of course, was the, the Brian Cody and Henry Shefflin uh, debacle. So it's as, it's as like the, the, the greatest manager of all time and he's coming up against his lieutenant. So it's as, uh, yeah, it's, as, it's a very, very strange one. Big game in Salt Hill and uh, it's hard to know which way to go. Like it... Looking at the, the championship so far, it's hard to tell if Kenny are going well or if Galway are going well. It's um, it's, it's just so hard to tell. But uh, I'm sure the media, Jerry, will blow this one up for uh, for the weekend anyway. What would be your headline on it? Would it be Master versus Apprentice, Teacher versus Teacher's Pet? <laughs> uh, teacher's Pet, definitely. I'd say, yeah. <laughs> I know. Look, the boys are professional. They're not going to make it about them. Like, it's not about Brian Cody. It's not about Henry Shefflin. The lads will be concentrating about uh, Galway and be tra- concentrating about Kilkenny. And that's what it's about. It's not about the two boys at all. And it's about getting two points on the board and uh, getting to the next stage of the of the championship. Um, this seems like it's a new Kilkenny team. Like, it's hard, it's hard to say that, obviously, because obviously there are so many of the players who we are very familiar with. But it does seem like there's been an evolution in style. There's been some 
significant changes in personnel. Some players have new positions. It feels like it's this. It's not year one. Obviously, it's never going to be year one when Cody's involved. But it, like, there's a bang of this could actually be. We need to think about them as a different team as opposed to it's the same team from the last couple of years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think um, during the league, I think Brian found the new players. Um, Mikey Butler is a big find for me in a corner back. If I bring back the last day, uh, Blanchfield as well um, strengthened it up. Had a some, had a great league. Um, and you're dead right. Just a change in personnel and a change in style, the way they play, and the more confidence in the way they play. Um, you know, they're, they're playing the, the short game, they're playing the through the lines a bit more, and they're mixing it with the short and the long. Now, in saying that, it's gas. Like he's made he's made four changes for the, the West Mead game the last day, and he dropped Blanchfield, he dropped Keane Kenny out midfield. And I was just looking at it and I was looking at the size of the players and the players that came in. You know, you had James Marr coming in midfield, strong, strong man in midfield. Donnelly came back in. Uh, Walter Walsh is at the final vein of form. So you might think Kenny are moving a bit better, but he's still gone back to the old guard a small bit. And he's gone for size. He's gone for strength. Connor Brown there, he got in centre back as well. And I'd say he's looking at down the line that perhaps if he's taken on the Galways, if he's taken on the Limericks, on the Waterfords, he is going to have to get size because I know Keane Kenny and the lads done well during the league. But at the end of the day, there is no comparison between league and championship. And if you're not physically built to take on these guys and even seeing it against Watford Limerick the weekend Watford struggled to get through the half back line there taking hits and knocks and they, they they need the big guys back and they need them playing well and I suppose if you look at Kenny like who who have they really played have they been tested this is the thing if you even look through, through the league it was Dublin Leash Antrim they played a Watford team that was um that was true to a, to a semi-final already and then they played Cork and you know were defeated Pretty well in the end in the second half performance uh, against maybe a Cork team that are not firing in all cylinders. Um, you know, and then they start the championship playing Leash and Westmead. So Kilkenny have not been tested. We don't really know uh, how, how they're going. Yes, they look like a, a better outfit, but the only time they have been tested and defeated was against Cork. And in the second half of that, what I'd be afraid of, they went back to the old style. They panicked a bit. So we all know Brian Cody's traditionalist win your own ball, 50-50 ball into the square. And I just wonder, is the real belief there when it comes down to the crunch, when they're really under pressure, do the players on the field really believe and stick to the game plan of playing it through the line? Because when they went long, that's what the downfall was. I mean, we would expect them to be under pressure this weekend. But again, as you say, the league form has so far proven to be largely irrelevant maybe with the exception of, of Waterford being as good in the championship as they have been in the league we don't know where Galway are that's the other massive unknown heading into this weekend what's the truth about them? Yeah Galway like they're such an unknown entity like they're, they're the Jack and the Hyde of Hurling like if Galway turn up they can absolutely annihilate you and I think Henry was disappointed obviously with the result down in Wexford Park uh, it's a game they should have won they were six points up with eight minutes to go they should have seen it out and only for a controversial lead chin score at the end got, got the draw but really Galway should have came out of there with two points um, obviously last weekend put up a high score and that's the thing in the, in the championship uh, and playing these teams it could go down to scoring difference and that's why you have to be racking up massive scores because um, if you're on the same points it's going to come down to scoring difference so Galway last weekend looked superb, but it was, again, no disrespect to West Mead. You want to be beating West Mead if you're in contention to a Leinster final or getting to an Ireland series. Um, so they're an unknown entity. Um, but I think 
or Henry will have Galway just firing at uh, the weekend. It's in Salt Hill. Uh, it's a massive game. This is the game that has been penciled in from from day one uh, in in the Leinster Championship, and they are an unknown entity. And as I said, Galway could turn up and blow you out of the water, but I think it's, it's it'll be a close game. I think Kenny, Kenny are playing well, and I said that, that the changes they have made have improved them, and they're playing to a better style. And it's just if they stick to that style, they're going to be a hard team to beat. But uh, yeah, Galway, Galway are always there thereabouts, and they could take off if they win. Sunday, they could take off and it could be Ireland contenders in the space of five minutes, you know. It sounds like you're not overly convinced on whether or not Kilkenny are going to stick to this style of play and like, what, what does that say about this team that maybe they're not they're not sure about it? Yeah, I, I think they're, they're just not sure about Maybe there's just the league and the, la- the lack of maybe time-wise because it's just match on match on match and for these things to come off and even see maybe against Tipperary the weekend, you have to be in training and even to put one aspect of a strategy into your game plan, you have have to be in training and doing it constantly and constantly and constantly like these things just don't happen overnight and when the guys are so used to maybe playing the long ball and winning your own ball and like when you say that you play to your strengths you have Walter Welsh you have TJ Reid you have John Donnelly great men in the air so maybe there's a reason to play the long ball but just against Cork it just faded out so my only worry would be if they panic and go, and go back to that style but Maybe during the, the championship and the few training sessions they have that they'll stick to it. And uh, look, they, they have to mix it both ways anyway. Yeah, like, do do you think that they're playing to their strengths now, or have they moved away from playing to their strengths? No, look, I think they're playing to their strengths. Yeah. I think um, look, they're pulling out uh, a third midfielder. They're leaving two inside. They're getting into the middle third. Look, it's amazing. Like when they're when they're champions, they're just looking at the Limerick style of play, and they're getting into the middle third, and then they're looking up. Um, and they're playing it into the full forward line of Billy Ryan, where she's darting here and there, and TJ Reid started the last day at full forward. So they have a target man in the air, which is always Brian Cody's um, ethos anyway, have a ball winner in there, and then you have Billy Ryan playing off them, and um, the, the half forwards swarming in around as well. So they've definitely changed their style. Like Even for Cody to bring out a third midfielder would be kind of unheard of, unless the other team, the other opposition brought a player. But for him to kind of do it off the cuff straight away, Straight away, that's a, that, that, that's a change in style. And it suits the Kilkenny team. You know, Liam Keown, or Mossy Keown, started there for the league most days as well. And, and he was playing to, to, to that kind of format and, and played very well. So Kilkenny are playing to a good strategy when they're on top. So like when they get to the middle third, they're playing decent ball in. Before they were just hitting sky balls in, but now they're putting it to the left and right of the player, like any team is trying to do. They're trying to get it to that middle third, trying to have then the halfback have a look and put a perfect ball in. Uh, to the guys to give them the the seventy thirty chance of, of putting it over the bar, you know, and that's that's the way they're playing. Uh, what's the crack with Adrian Mullen out at midfield? Is that like you can do that, get him some game time out there, like, uh, or is that maybe something that they're thinking about further down the line? You need a massive scoring power from further out the field. I think so. I think Adrian Mullen probably has been fired in all cylinders since his injury, and. Um, He's back in the team, and he, he needs game time, and he he needs he needs seventy minutes in him, and he needs to build up his confidence. And midfield is a type of area where there's a lot of ball, he can get onto a lot of ball, and he can go forward. And Adrian Mullen is is a brilliant forward, but he hasn't been playing that well in the forward line. And in midfield, you get more to express yourself in midfield. You're not kind of marking a player; you're just kind of getting around the place and getting fitness into you. And I think Adrian Mullen is going to be there. Uh, in midfield uh, for the foreseeable and played very well the last day. Um, he was on team of the week, um, but he needs to build up his confidence. 
And I think forward ways, there's options. Kenny have a lot of options. You have Cody starting corner forward, came out wing forward. You have Adrian Mullen in midfield. He can move in. And it's all about interchangeable. The day of standing in your own position is totally gone. So you have to have guys that are interchangeable, that can move into the half forward line seamlessly. And if you're under pressure in the forward, in the full forward line, that they can take scores from out the field. And you can see in Parry Welch being sent to forward, he's moving from left to right. He's taking scores off the sideline, which Kenny weren't able to do the last couple of years. Um, like we, we maybe forget a little bit about how good he could be and like he's potential hurler of the year material at some point in his career. So uh, if he was to find a position that allowed him to express the full of his talent and get some of that confidence back, that's a game changer. Yeah, no, it, it's huge. And Kenny had struggled for midfielders uh, for the last couple of years. You, know, injured. you had Liam Blanchfield going in, you had um, Richie Lahey was uh, going in, never really met it. Uh, Richie Reid was in there. So they really are looking for a midfielder to kind of nail down that position. And it's the type of position that he can roam in. We found him up in the full forward line the last day. He's back in his half backs, you know, the other day. But I, I think for Mullen, I think he has the hurling, but it's just his confidence and his, his lack of hurling the last two years. Um, due to injury and he needs he needs to kind of get it back and time is kind of running out for him to make like he came on the scene blew the whole thing away but he has dropped his standards and maybe due, due to his injuries and things but midfielder would be a position where I'd see him uh, flourish Alright well I think everybody who loves the game wants to see him uh, express himself and, and reach his full potential so we wish him all the best with that uh, a debate that they wandered into last night on the show was um, Limerick current team versus your team we didn't tell you about this in advance, I don't think. Too. We're springing <laughs> it on you now. Who uh, had you on the show talking about that? <laughs> well, Mick, Mick kind of wandered into it accidentally when he was talking about um, how any one of that Limerick team can end up being man of the match. And I was like, I don't know, if, I, if you look back at the track record of All-Ireland Finals that you won, it wasn't Henry man of the match in every game. It was actually a random selection of people. Brian Cody. Who were, who were man of the match. Did they give Cody one year? <laughs> Always, yeah. For the five in a row. And that was ridiculous. Oh, uh, yeah, Brian got man of the match. Yeah, I think Eddie Brennan scored about 2 1 that day. He was disgusting in the US. Do you win a car from out of the match? Was there something, there was something ridiculous? No, you, you get a bit of, a bit of crystal, yeah. Right. So, okay. Because the car, it's ABC, not together, right? There. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is, this is the good stuff. Uh, so in your head when you've been thinking about this which I'm sure it's at various stages people have asked but this, this Limerick team are really good they're really 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 good we know they're very good how would they match up against you guys? Yeah uh, <laughs> really throwing me in the spot here Gerard right um, yeah actually you'd often think about taking uh, about taking them on and uh, different positions and look at, even for myself I'd be looking at Sean Finn and I'd be thinking yeah I'd take this guy no problem you know and <laughs> it's as easy as saying when you're sitting on your couch uh, on a Sunday evening saying yeah I'll, I'll take him there no problem but uh, yeah, to be serious matchups <laughs> to be a serious contest and as you said look Wicked Kenny, the thing was when someone didn't perform as in like maybe a Henry or you know a Tommy Welsh or a JJ then you had a Jackie Terrell stepping up. You had different lads stepping up at different times. And that's what's kind of happening to Limerick. And we had this fantastic panel of guys coming off the bench. And it was all kind of, uh, Osher looked to Kenny's second team would be the, the second best team in Ireland. This kind of this kind of crazy talk, you know. But um, yeah, you'd, ha- you'd have to get the matchups. I think uh, Hegarty on uh, Eddie Brennan and uh, Brian Hogan on Keane Lynch. And 
the, the, we, we never really, well, when we say we never did stats, we did stats, but I think Brian never really called them stats. They were just kind of meetings about what we were going to do and things. And uh, I think we'd have to sit down and we'd have to really, um, really think about who, who we're going to be on. But I, a lot of it would be just a dogfight. Um, you know, in fairness, our team, it was just, it was just the fight, um, the, the fight that was in us. Um, and, and Limerick are really showing that. Um, when I was thinking about Limerick this year and kind of comparing it to ourselves, I was thinking, what do they have to do to kind of keep the thing going? And there was two things for me that stood out. I said they have to keep the hunger in themselves, which they've proven, um, you know, their tackling, their intensity, their drive and just their, their, their mentality has to be there. And, and that's there in droves. And, you know, maybe just do something different. Um, from our point of view, probably 2009, 2010, 11, that great Tipperary team, we felt as if we were slipping, just not slipping, but teams are beginning to catch us just slightly. And we just felt that we had to do something different. And even um, Kinnert by pushing up um, Kyle Hayes, that was something different straight away up to the full forward line. So if to keep the hunger in the panel, uh, do something different, nothing major, nothing fantastic, but just keep teams thinking on their toes that you're not too, um, you're not, uh, you know, that, that the teams won't know that what you're going to be doing from day in and day out. And, My- um my current argument is that your team is better, right? It's still TBC in history. Obviously, Jared. Well, <laughs> time, the time is on Limerick's side, right? The one thing that you guys had was that you had great rivals in that there was a brilliant Cork team who obviously ended up imploding a bit because of the strikes that was at the start of your your period of time being a great team. But that was an, like a, a, a team which had absolute legends of the game. And then the great Tipperary team came along and stopped the five in a row. But in a way, that actually retrospectively makes your rivalry with them even stronger that they were good enough to actually win and to get over the line Limerick have had good individual teams Galway came and won their All-Ireland and then went away since then they haven't had a team who have been clearly the second best team or who are good enough to push them like they kind of need Waterford if, if, if history is going to judge them as an all-time great team they need Waterford to get there and to be an all-time to be a, a team that can win an All-Ireland I guess what I'm saying is you had better opposition over that period at the start and at the end. In the middle, certainly you were winning All-Irelands and um, none of those teams were, were able to hold a candle to you. At the moment, Limerick needs somebody to emerge from the pack who are nearly as good as them and who actually beat them once to make us all think, actually, you know what? This is an all-time great team. Yeah, it's a valid point. And it's a point that we would have talked about before. Um, you know, I just said the Cork team came along when we were there. Then there was a, a very good Waterford team, probably coming to the end, the small bit with the Tony Browns and the Ken McGraths. Then you had the great Tipperary team, um, fantastic team uh, through the years. So we had massive rivalries through the years and teams that could possibly take us down on any given day. And that kind of heightens the sport. If you look at any sport, if you look at soccer or rugby, whatever, when you have a rivalry and you're just barely winning the games and getting over and just the intensity and the... The, the aura around it, you suddenly just become a kind of a better team. And I'm not running down Limerick at all. They're fantastic. But, you know, you nearly would love a Kilkenny team that maybe that we have in this day and age just to put them to the pin of the collar, see what they're see what they're all about. Because if you look at Tip, Tip are probably in transition a small bit. Kilkenny, the last couple of years, uh, trying to find a few players, a small bit of transition as well. Uh, Watford went off the bile for a while, um, albeit they're probably the second best team in the country as well. Uh, Galway as well, lost a, a lot of high-profile players as well and uh, Claire kind of had to do a rebuilding strategy with Lowen all in the last three to four years 
when Limerick were coming along the scene. And that's not running down Limerick fantastic. They've won at Ireland's and um, they, they are the best team in the country. But as you said yourself, you nearly want, Watford are probably the closest and you, you nearly need a team just to be kind of testing them at times and showing how kind of frail they can be maybe during the matches and they're there for the taking. You, and then, th- sorry, go ahead. That, that, would pro- that would probably then, then you'd be saying, right, well, these guys are actually, they have the mentality for this they are they're made of steel you know they're hard men to beat mix them anyways then you really see that the Limerick come out and I think you would see it if you had a rivalry I think Limerick would still be be, be on top that's the thing to make him to make him a greater team so you say you'd take Sean Finn if we can uh, go into this time machine and taggy your player manager of the Kilkenny team and you're up against Limerick let's go through some of the matchups who's marking Garrod Hegarty first of all Road Hegarty, I would put. Who would you put? I wouldn't put Sheffield on Road. I would put probably an Eddie Brennan, probably a guy to turn. No, actually, hold on. Eddie Brennan would be in the wing for Hegarty, Tommy Welch. Tommy Welch and Hegarty. So then <laughs> there's only one. There's only one man for him. Yeah. So Tommy Welch. Who, who yeah. goes on Keane Lynch then if, if Welch is occupied? Keane Lynch. I uh, I push up Brian Hogan man to him. Yeah. Brian Hogan. Okay. And, uh, uh, what about Kyle Hayes then? I'll only do forties, by the way. Kyle Hayes is he full forward or is he is he wing back? <laughs> I, I guess let's go with full forward. Let's go with the current Limerick team. Full forward. I think JJ would handle um, Kyle Hayes the full forward. I think uh, JJ would be very cute, and I don't think he'd be on as much ball uh, as you'd imagine he would be. But it's to be to be a serious matchup, and especially in the air as well. JJ, look, he was just god in the air, so that'd be that'd be one that'd be a serious matchup in the full forward line. And then Tommy was saying on Sunday that there's four pillars of, of this Limerick team. Those are three of them and the fourth one is Tom Morrissey. So who would mark Tom Morrissey from that Kilkenny team? Tom Morrissey, I think uh, I think he put a runner on Tom Morrissey. I think uh, he likes maybe, yeah. No, and Eddie, we put Eddie Brennan on um, Parry Mar before uh, on the wing back line. And uh, Eddie just, we just went at him and, and just turned him. Mm. And I think if you, if you run at the half back line of Limerick, um, there could be frailties there. It's either getting the ball over the half back line, or get them on their back feet and turn them. Um, that's what, that's what I'd be trying to do, and I'd be putting pace in there big time, uh, and I'm putting ball winners as well. You know, you still have you still have Henry Shefflin there. You have Gorta there as well. Richie in, in Power. The square, I think if Richie Power, Richie Hogan, T.J. Reid. It's not a bad um, team. Not, it's, 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 it's possibly the best team of all time. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't even mentioned my own name yet. There you go. Well, you're you're player manager, so it's. Uh, <laughs> well, you don't have Cody, you see now, actually, as a result of that. Yeah. yeah. I, I might play sweeper, get the handy roll. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, who's Jackie Terrell picking up? Jackie Terrell is uh, hurling Glan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, wow. To be, to, be met, to be med firm, I think. Uh, fire with fire. Anytime, absolutely fire with fire. Uh, you know, Glan's a bit of a hothead. Uh, Jackie. Took no took no crap from anybody. Um, and when you give Jackie a job, I remember we, we, we put him on Lark Harbour there over the years, and he was so meticulous. You know, he even he even knew what boots Lark Harbour was wearing. So if he was on the ground, he'd have a quick look up, and if he saw a pair of boots, that was Lark, and he's up and gone. So I think uh, I think Galan and Jackie would be a serious serious contest. And the thing is, the way Limerick play, they're trying to isolate Galan the whole time. Mm. Jackie'd love that. We need some kind of um, AI computer programmer to to program these games so yeah what was that show on Bravo Ultimate Warrior was it called or uh, and they would like put people from like various like a gladiator up against uh, World War 2 
um, uh, soldier and see who would actually win. We need, we need to get those people to do a high budget Limerick versus Kilkenny match. See who would actually come out on top. I, I, I sense that you think that those Kilkenny players would win most of those matchups. Um, well, look, I'm not going to let down my own. So um, I would, I would. To be fair, look, as I said, we're the type of team that I remember Tipper is in 2010, and all we could think of was Tipperary. We didn't mention it in the dressing room. We didn't talk about them really in the dressing room until the, the, the day actually came. But in the backs of our heads, all we wanted was Tipperary, and I think uh, we'd be we'd be fair up for it. We'd be fair driven, and I think we'd have the hurlers and the bite and the 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 the. the, the you know the physicality as well. I know these lads are machines, and but um, you um, know, give us give us give us a couple of years to be in the gym, and we go back and we bulk up and we yeah. <laughs> we take them on. Am I right in saying the five in a row is Henry's cruciate? That's what that's that game, isn't it? Lars Hattrick is Henry's cruciate. Same game, is it? Yeah, yeah, same game. Yeah, and Brian Hogan was injured as well. John Henderson was centre back, and Brian Hogan was missing as well. So Brian and Henry was out. Yeah, yeah. It's really unfortunate that for the biggest game of the history moment that the best player of all time is unavailable. Or like plays yeah, 12 minutes. Yeah. He played 12 minutes and yeah. hobbled off, yeah. But like in fairness, that day, <coughs> Tipperary were... No, they were great. Sublime. They were. But oh, they were, you'd love to see yeah. what, like, if, if Lars scores his hat-trick and Henry's playing, what, what the outcome is. Maybe they still win. and Maybe it's like they win by a point. But it's, um, it's one of those moments that will, again, we can speculate it in, the, in the darkness. Anyway, look, we, we, we ended up talking about all that. One last thing, right? Uh, Claire. Are Claire, are Claire a team now that everybody needs to be scared of? Because they suddenly have a forward line that has confidence and depth. And it's not just Tony Kelly anymore. <clears throat> yeah, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, but would, would I be afraid to go to play Claire? I probably wouldn't be afraid. I probably think that I, I, I could be. We could beat them. Um, but in saying that, if you're looking at the teams around, and we mentioned it maybe beforehand, maybe the teams aren't at at, at that levels that they were before. Claire are probably looking for third place. They're up against Cork uh, this weekend. An absolute massive game. But the thing with Claire is, and I. I fancy Clare before the Munster Championship. Um, I didn't see a whole lot of them, but I know the way Brian Lohan um, puts a team together and he's mixing it both ways. There's a fight in them and he has a direct ball. Look, he's a bit old school. He has um, Peter Duggan in the full forward line, Shane O'Donnell back going well. As I said, Tony Kelly, not the main man. Uh, John Conlon, they look just very good. Um, well set up, a real hard team to beat. But they played a Tipperary team maybe that were very poor on the day as well. So there's six of one and half a dozen of the other. But I would think they might scrape through for third place. And if they got a bit of momentum, got their tails up, they could go a long way. They, they really could. I think, um, you know, they played direct. Um, they played really, really good hurling. Their backs are swarming. Um, but have they shown their cards? That That's the thing. Like, it's championship to championship. You have to show your cards at some stage. Um, but would I be really, really afraid of meeting them in the Ireland final? Possibly not yet. No, but you definitely would give them the opportunity to progress. In this game, this weekend, if if they do what we think they can do to Cork, then all of a sudden, like, I, th- I just think that they have enough talent there that on a day, Tony Kelly could go crazy and score 211 and suddenly it's like, oh, how did that come from? Like, he's that good. So we're, we're, we'll we'll have an opportunity to reflect on that um, this time next week, hopefully. Aidan, great stuff. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers. Thanks a million, lads. Appreciate it. It's uh, Aidan Fogarty there. I mean, it was a good team they had. It's hard to argue.
Do you think mention Owen Larkin? That forward line is unbelievable. That's yeah, an absolutely outrageous team. There's definitely a bit of recency bias in anybody who says that Limerick are definitely better. Like, obviously, the, the reason why the conversation has come up, though, I think, is because of the manner in which they won the All-Ireland final last year. It was just a complete destruction, and it did have hallmarks of 2008 about it. So I think that really kind of intensified the conversation. I remember Eddie Brennan being on the show, I think, a couple of days afterwards, and it was like, who the Jets on this just yet? Uh, that there is, like, And I do think that there's... He, he's, uh, there's obviously a reason why he's saying that but also I think we sometimes just forget how awesome that Kilkenny team was even though it's pretty hard to forget that Young TJ Young Richie Hogan TJ was captain in 2010 wasn't he That would have he would have lifted Liam McCarthy as uh, the cap to five in a row like I don't know if you recall but uh, Henry Henry showed up to training and was at training and there was like multiple thousands it was like the 1978 All Blacks game and uh, I remember there was a piece on that night on Off the Ball and one of the local reporters was like it's like Lazarus risen from the dead but if they just said no he's not playing would that have completely changed everything and the game plan would have been completely different and so he wouldn't have been involved and you know Richie Hogan would have started Well it was, it was definitely better than him playing 12 minutes I think I think that completely that was definitely the worst case scenario but they must have known going into that game that there was a live chance that, that could have happened They must have they must have alright ok uh, the debate the debate will last forever it turns out OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day uh, Devo says to be fair New Zealand effect over when they play in the Northern Hemisphere the World Cup final in England in 2015 was on at 4am in New Zealand and that was their best ever performance it was such a dominant effortless flow to their game um, and that was the absolute peak of the Dan Carter era. Here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio for you today. OTB Gold at one o'clock is Ronnie Delaney in scintillating form. Dadcast at three. Barry Garrity at four. Uh, OTB Gold is Jerry Eisenberg at six. Uh, Barry Garrity um, uh, autocorrects to Barry Greatly, which is uh, which is good. I would I would just sign myself sign my text. It was autocorrect. Sorry, it was an accident. Uh, join us tomorrow from half seven. We're talking Champions League with Mark Lawrence and Nathan Murphy. Rugby with Matt Williams and much more. OTB. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.